Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Welcome back to the Thought Adventure podcast. And I might as well say welcome back to myself since I haven't been here for quite a while. Uh, what are we up to now? We're on the 19th episode of the podcast. And today we're going to be discussing with you guys salvation in Islam versus Christianity. So um, Yusuf, unfortunately, he's not going to be able to make it. He's, he's a bit busy. And Abdul would be joining us in a little while, inshallah. He's just uh, busy with the kids at the moment. So uh, how are you doing, Sharif? Salam. Wa alaikum salam and welcome back, uh... Jake, man, we've. Uh, I think everybody's missed you. Well, maybe some people haven't. Yeah, some people <laughs> maybe haven't. Some, maybe some of those Trinitarian Christians. <laughs> yeah, Christians didn't miss me. I'm back, and uh, we're we're coming with a, another topic related to Christianity. So probably definitely not too happy. But um, how was uh, how was Morocco? Yeah, it was good. Alhamdulillah, it's good. You know. So you went out there, did the Walima. Yeah, be marriage and yeah, being with family and uh, yeah, mostly with family. Okay, but, uh, yeah, it was good, bro. Any uh, any interesting stories that you came across out there? Um, not really. Not off the top of my was head. The, was there not that guy who you met out there? No, no, I didn't. I didn't meet anybody. I had a lot of people messaging me actually, which was quite. Um, you know, uh, good to see that a lot of people are watching our material in Morocco because I went to I went to a couple different cities when I was there and I had different people messaging me saying, oh, I'm here in this city. If you come here, w w I would like to meet you. And, you know, so it was it was nice that um, people from the podcast uh, in Morocco and probably a lot of other places are watching our material and they seem to enjoy it. So I didn't meet anybody cause I was just so busy with the wedding party and everything planning. Uh, I didn't really get the chance, but, um, it was nice to see that uh, a lot of people there are watching our stuff and really enjoying it and inshallah benefiting from it. So that was nice to see. Alhamdulillah. So shout out to all the brothers in Morocco then. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to them. Shout out to everybody in the chat now. We've got a uh, good amount of people here. So, um, yeah, Abdul is probably going to be a few minutes, so we might as well just jump straight into it. Yeah. Right? So <clears throat> the topic is salvation in Islam uh, and Christianity. What we're going to do first is we're going to go through the Islamic perspective on what salvation is, um, some details about it, and then we're going to go through the side in Christianity, and then eventually, as you guys know, how we do it on tap, probably about after, what, maybe 45 minutes to an hour, uh, we'll open it up to guests, and you guys can come on, ask questions, or make comments. So everybody's saying, yeah, I'm back. Yes, I am back in the flesh. I'm here. So, um it's good to see you guys here. But um, so, yeah, the first question that I have for you, Sharif, is I guess we might as well start off by saying what is salvation and generally how is it attained in Islam? OK, yeah, alhamdulillah. So I think uh, 
I don't. Obviously, there's different angles, uh, but just, just to give a very brief overview yeah. in terms of what uh, South. Yeah, and then we'll is. go into specifics. So. Yeah. So, so I think it's not that complicated regards to salvation within Islam. Ultimately, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, expects two things for us in order to achieve the grace and mercy from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and that is the right belief and good actions. Uh, and those are the two things that, if a person has the correct belief, he does the performance of the good actions, uh, that he achieves salvation. And, you know, maybe some alarm bells might be ringing from some of our uh, Christian colleagues and friends, which is that they think, oh, good actions. It's all about the works. It's not, a, you know, how are you going to get equal? How are you going to get right with God? Yeah, it's impossible for you to do that with your actions. But no, that's not the case within Islam. Because within Islam, we recognize that our good actions are not sufficient in order to achieve uh, salvation on its own. And we've got the very famous hadith of the Prophet wasallam, who explains that there was a man who had done, uh, you know, had done worship and done righteous actions for, you know, many, many years. Uh, and... You know, when he was, uh, and it's narrated when he's brought forward before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask him, Do you want to enter paradise? Do you want to achieve salvation? Do you want to achieve, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure through your good actions or through the mercy, through the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Yeah, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, he thought that he's done all the good actions that would be sufficient. And so he then said, Okay, through my good actions. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala weighs. All the good actions that he's done with the, the, uh, the mercy and the barakah and the blessings of just his eyesight. Yeah, I think in some narrations he says one of his eyes. And that one, you know, blessings from that one aspect that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to human beings outweighed all of his good actions. And then the man realizes that by your mercy. Yeah. So we're taught by the Prophet that good actions on their own are not sufficient. So what do we mean by belief? Well, belief obviously is the correct belief, the, the, the very basis of the Islamic belief, which is the six pillars of the Islamic faith or Iman. You know, belief in Allah, the angels, the books, the prophets, the day of judgment and Al-Qadar, the good and the bad of which is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are the fundamental pillars of Islam. And when it comes to the good actions, it's the Sharia, it's abiding by what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordained for us what's established within the Quran and within the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that means you know in terms of our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa taala, how how we worship, our ibadah, how we relate to other people, muamilat, and how we uh, relate to ourselves through our, our akhlaq, yeah, our morality and good manners. So you know, ibadah means worship. It's that direct relationship with with Allah subhanahu wa taala that we have. Uh, Mu'amalat means how we interact with other people And then obviously how we, how we clothe ourselves The morals, the manners that we have Is what we mean by akhlaq these, All of these things fall within the sharia Within amal al-salihat, righteous actions And then obviously it's a case of staying away from evil Staying away from sin And if we commit sin To constantly seek repentance before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, and uh, you know maybe we can talk about what what it means when it goes to repentance within the Islamic paradigm. But then we seek repentance before Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and hope 
for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness and mercy and overlooking our bad deeds. So that's just, I, don't, I think that's quite clear. I think it's not that complicated. I think if we do have the right beliefs, we perform the good actions, then we are, uh, then we have the, the ability to gain the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. So I think mm -hmm. that's, that's the issue. Right, yeah, because <clears throat> for people who don't know, salvation basically is when we're talking about how, how do you get salvation, we're talking about how does one uh, make it to paradise or heaven? How are you in right standing with God and saved from, um, you know, damnation and hell and things like that? So just want to be clear on the terminology because some people may not know what salvation is even really means so that's what we're referring to and and sharif was explaining all of that now <clears throat> you know specifically because what comes up is some people may wonder well who's actually accountable uh for their beliefs and actions when it, when it comes to these things um and so from an islamic perspective uh who is held accountable for their beliefs and actions what would you say to that, Sharif? And then I'll come and give my two cents. Uh, yeah, so uh, we say, isn't it, that the, the one in Islam, we say the mukallif is the one who's held responsible. Uh, so mukallif is the one, literally means the one who's responsible. And so we say there are basically three people who are not held responsible. Uh, the first is a child, so until they reach the age of maturity, yeah. The second is the one who's insane or has doesn't have rational capacity, you know, until he, either he regains conscious uh, regains his sanity, uh, and the third one is the one who either you know basically he forgets or he oversleeps. Basically, is in a period of non-conscious awareness of what he's doing until he remembers or until he gains consciousness. So, anybody of those three categories are basically not responsible before the Sharia. Yeah. Uh, so anybody who is other than those three people uh, will, in generality, as human beings, would be considered responsible. Now, some people will talk about, okay, what about the one who is unaware of Islam, never come across Islam? Uh, what's his uh, salvation? What's his responsibility? And in origin there is differences of opinion amongst the scholars. So there's verses of Qur'an in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he does not punish a people until he sent a messenger to that, to that town. So the idea is that you have to have received the message. So some scholars say, well, that means that a person has to receive the message before they're held accountable. And then there's question about whether, what's the level of responsibility that's required? Yeah, what's the... Uh, uh, so, not the level. What's the level of the message that he needs to receive? Yeah, uh, you know, does it have to be just hearing that Islam is true? Does it have to be more than that? Does it have to be like being clearly convinced? You know, given the clear evidences and proofs of Islam, you know, so there is ikhtilaf over the level. But ultimately, we believe that all human beings who have a rational, sound capacity, who reach the age of maturity, are under a certain level of responsibility to seek out guidance, yeah? um, whether they achieve it or not, that's a separate issue in terms of whether they become Muslim, but if they're in earnest, they're sincere, uh, but they've just not heard the message of Islam or it's been tainted for them or it's not clear in terms of the evidences, then we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful. But obviously in that situation, there is 
various scholarly differences of opinion on that. It's, it's a bit of an academic point, though, from uh, in in generality. Right, right. Yeah, <clears throat> the way I understand it is basically what you were saying that uh, people are going to be judged on their capability, what they had the ability to know and learn and be able to implement actions uh, behind it as well. Because obviously if you're, um, well, let me not even go into that, but so it's going to be based on your capability, what you're able to, as far as rationally and physically be able to know and understand and also put those actions in, um, you know, put those deeds, you know, forward. But at the same time, uh, what you were mentioning about uh, receiving the message, that's very important too, because if they didn't receive the message at all, then what are they going to be held accountable for? Well, some people think, well, at the very least, they can know that there's a creator uh, that created everything and um, and then maybe even some uh, moral principles, but that's a little bit, especially in Islamic tradition, that's a little bit more um, contested. Um, but Imam Ghazali actually even talks about that if somebody hears about Islam, but it's such a distorted version of it, and it's not even really accurate, then they're not actually rejecting Islam. They're rejecting a caricature of it. And see, so it's very important um, from a Muslim paradigm that you first you have the ability to be able to know and implement action, and also that uh, you receive the message and to what capacity was it tainted in any way. So there's, it's all sorts of distinctions that we can raise. And it's very difficult, you know, because a lot of times Christians want sort of a neat answer to these things and not just them, shouldn't say just them, but people in general. And they want to be asked about specific people. Oh, what about this person? Or what about this person? But in Islam, we don't make um, declarations of certainty about the afterlife about individual people we can talk about beliefs and actions and if you do those type of things where it sort of leads to but we don't make proclamations on individuals other than the ones that are specifically mentioned in the quran and the sunnah for example we have the hadith of the prophet alayhi salam where he mentions certain people that he's guaranteeing paradise for for example or in, in the Qur'an, certain people like the Pharaoh is mentioned as he's going to be in hell. Um, so other than these small number of exceptions, we do not make proclamations about individuals. And that's very important um, because a lot of times people, um, sometimes out of ignorance or maybe even frustration, they go a bit too far and make these kind of statements that we as Muslims, we're just, we're not allowed to say those kind of things. So, so, so yeah. interesting, Jay, because what's interesting here, because I know what the uh, general contention, or well, one, not general, but one of the key contentions, oh, so you don't have a promise that you're going to go to, you're going to achieve salvation. We do. Yeah. So, so there'll be Christians out there saying, well, we have, yeah. Uh, we've got this promise. All we have to do is accept Jesus died for us. And that's it. We're transformed. We've received grace. But what I find interesting is, okay, well, what about that Christian who at that moment accepts it? And then maybe a few years later, he becomes an apostate. He leaves Christianity. What would the Christian say then? Well, the Christian would say, well, he never really achieved grace. 
So they're really actually in the same position. How do they know that they're going to die upon their Christianity? Yeah. Because how do they know that they are the elect few? Yeah. I don't know if you want to. Assume. Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah, they don't know. In reality, it's it's the same result. They don't know what their end state is going to be, and it's the same thing in the Quran. Is that not only about the people um, of hell, but the same of paradise? We don't say, oh yeah, that guy, he's definitely going to paradise. We, you know, we ask a law that that happens, especially after per after the person's dead. Um, but the people of paradise their beliefs and their actions are described in the Quran. And the same is true for the people of hell. So we can see the overall, but we don't. And another important thing to keep in mind as well is the intention in Islam. Intention is very important. And Allah, only Allah knows the intentions of people. We don't know what's in the hearts and minds of individuals. We were to judge by the apparent, um, but we don't know what's in the hearts and minds of people. So we don't really make those individual proclamations but we do have promises in the quran we have promises in the quran that if you do x y and z and if you believe x y and z then you will be in paradise right because he he does make those promises um quite clear yes. and, and likewise the same yeah. same goes for hell you if you you believe this you you don't believe this uh you do this and you don't do that yeah the, that type of person all things being equal, they're they're going to go to hell. But we don't know because there are so many different variables at play in the person's life and their intentions that we just can't say about individual people. You see. So anyway, you wanted to come in and say no, something? no. I was going to say yeah, no. So it's like like for example, even in Surah Tulteen, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember which chapter number of the uh, of the Quran, but it mentions, isn't it? It mentions that. You know, humans will be a base to the lowest of low as fellow surfing. And then he says, You know, except those who believe and do righteous actions. And for them, there is an un unending reward, an unfailing yeah. reward. So right. it's a clear promise. Yeah, there's promise. What you're, what you're basically saying, Jake, is this is that, well, okay, you've got this very clear promise, just like maybe mm -hmm. somebody from another faith, like Christianity, has this so called. Obviously, we don't believe in it, but their clear promise that if you accept uh, Jesus died for your sins, then that's it. You're, you're going to be uh, accepted. But just like us, we don't know. We don't have a magic wand in terms of knowing what's going to happen to us in the future or what's going to happen to another person in the future. Yeah. So it keeps us, in essence, from an Islamic paradigm, it keeps us very grounded, yeah, very mm. self-aware, even... You know, aware of the actions that we perform. So there's a there's a famous quote from Imam Shafi, who said, uh, "All hearts are dead, yeah, except mm -hmm. those with knowledge, and all those with knowledge are asleep, except those who perform actions, and mm -hmm. all those who perform actions are deceived, except those with sincerity, and all those with sincerity are in a constant state of anxiety." What he means by that, he's they're constantly addressing why they perform the action. The sincerity behind the action, you know, the the desire to want it to be accepted before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they're thinking, you know, have I done it with the right intention? You know, constantly looking at the bad actions that they do and they're, they're trying to repent from that. So it creates this very grounded, very, uh, you know, humility, yeah? Uh, this person with humility that actually thinks to himself, actually, you know what? 
I have to really concentrate upon what I'm doing and why mm. I'm doing. Like like when we do these streams, isn't it? We we have to constantly remind ourselves that okay, why are we doing it? Are we doing it for fame? Are we doing it for fortune? <laughs> mm-hmm. Obviously not fortune, but you know, or even <laughs> yeah. fame. But but obviously, you know, we have to remind ourselves because the the ego, the nafs, the whispers of shaitan, you know, these things <coughs> can start to move us away, and we think we're doing something good, but actually we're doing it for our own selves. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think we have uh, Abdurrahman here. Yeah. Salam. Salam. You guys doing? Sorry. Sorry for the delay. Good. No problem. Alhamdulillah. No worries. Yeah, so we're just talking about uh, the topic here, salvation in Islam versus Christianity. And uh, we're going through the Islamic conception. Um, so we talked about salvation generally. We talked about who's accountable for their beliefs and who's not. Uh, we talked about promises of people. Um so now we're at the point uh, in the questions I have here. What happens to Muslims that commit heinous sins? Um, because this may be a question, because in Christianity, you know, uh, at least certain versions of it make it seem like, well, you just got to believe in Jesus. And that's the end of the story. I know that's a caricature of it, but and we'll get into that in a, in a little bit. But some people may be wondering, well, what about Muslims that, you know, do bad things, that they commit heinous sins? What happens to them? So um, what would you guys say to that? Uh, Abdul. Sorry, is it, is, it, is it lagging on my end or on yours? Uh, just need to... No, no, I think I think Sharif is having slight Internet um, connection issues. I think oh, he's lagging. Yeah, I'm, unless unless it's me. No, no, no. I don't think you're lagging. Not for me, anyway. Okay, if you don't think he's lagging, then, then it's me. So just give me a second. Wait, hold okay. on. Abdurrahman, am I lagging for you? Yeah, yeah, you are. Then then it's probably me. It's probably yeah, it's you. Because you. <laughs> you, you're not lagging for me, but Sharif is lagging a little bit. <laughs> for me. So, I mean, I mean, both of you are <laughs> lagging for me. So, oh, yeah. okay. Let me let me just check my connection here. Um, Mine looks okay. I don't know. Am I coming in clearly for you, Sharif? Or... Yeah, yeah, fine, alhamdulillah. Okay. Anyway, we might as well just go on. Yeah, and continue because yeah. I don't. I'm not seeing anything in the chat that people are complaining. No, so no. yeah. So, so what yeah. So really, to Muslims that commit these bad sins. Okay. So uh, so if a person who commits a sin, he has the opportunity. Uh, well, it's a major sin. He has the opportunity to repent. Yeah. Even the one who commits shirk. Yeah, so the one who commits what we call the unforgivable, unforgivable sin, and I'll explain how it fits in within the context of what I'm saying, because we believe that if a person turns in repentance before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, before he dies, then he will be forgiven in terms of the fact that he's actually, uh, you know, very sincere in the fact that if he was to replay the situation again, he wouldn't commit the same error and same mistake. Now, if a person doesn't repent or you know uh his sins outweigh his good deeds or you know he was doing it for the wrong intentions uh things like that then the person is liable to punishment yeah and you'll be yeah, Sharif, they're saying it's you who's lagging they're oh saying, is it yeah i I'm, i see abdul clear as day but yeah sharif yeah lying. yeah sharif you are lagging i think for everybody so maybe Try, oh, maybe right. tr- tr- turning. I can hear video. you, but it's like 
lagging so <laughs> it's breaking in and out maybe okay, turn your, let me maybe back. try yeah. turning your video off yeah let, let me come back one second i'll come back okay okay um Abdul, I don't know if you heard the question, if you want to weigh in at all. Yeah, something about heinous sins and what, what really happens to, to, to Muslims. and Yeah, um, Muslims that basically commit sins. And, and Sharif was going into, um, let me see, Sharif was talking about um, repentance. And he said that even for shirk, which is the unforgivable sin, people can repent for that up until they die. So um yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, really, it's it's a question of um, um, of of what does count as as uh, you know uh, retribution or 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 as as you know making up for a sin whether you know, it's going to be punishment or whether it's going to be uh, uh, repentance i mean there there are a lot of philosophical underpinnings there so i don't know if, if you guys touched upon it but like uh, I, I think from an islamic perspective it's either like sincere repentance right uh doing good that wipes away the bad right um the the sincerity is just a, a crucial factor and uh, changing your ways is so 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 i mean that's kind of part part of what it means to sincerely repent uh it should be sufficient i mean some muslims they may uh, have sins that uh, aren't forgiven maybe they the repentance hasn't been accepted they weren't sincere whatever well there there can be punishment for that so um I think it's pretty straightforward the way the way I'm seeing it. Yep, yeah, and Sharif's not here, so uh, yeah, I think it's pretty straight straightforward. Though one thing I do want to add, which may be slightly different than Christianity, is that in Islam, for some people, for some Muslims, that is, they may have to go to hell temporarily. Um, and I don't want to say it's the same thing as purgatory, but they may go to hell temporarily where they have to pay for their sins and they will eventually be taken out and be brought to paradise. So that also is a possibility that I want to uh, just introduce and for people to keep in mind. Um, yeah, that's what I meant by the punishment part. Yeah. So, so it might be the case that a Muslim dies and it's like still has sin and stuff like that, and maybe his repentance hasn't been accepted. He hasn't repented, whatever yeah. it is. I mean, there, there is possible for a it's Muslim possible. to be accountable and punishable for their sins. Yeah, yeah, and then actually Sharif hinted at this earlier, which um, when he was just talking in broad strokes about salvation, but. Uh, the question is, do Muslims achieve paradise without Allah's mercy? Uh, because this is a common critique of um, Christians or skeptics, usually Christians, let's just be quite honest, where they say, oh, well, your deeds are what's meriting everything. And you just go, it's all about you. And you just, yeah. so, um, yeah, the question is, do, do Muslims achieve paradise without Allah's mercy? So if you want to comment on that. Abdul. No, I mean, of course not. We don't, we don't, we don't think Muslim, anybody achieves paradise without Allah's mercy. Um, and and the idea that we are accountable for our sins is mm -hmm. not uh, like does not negate the fact that if we were to uh, make it to to heaven and attain salvation, that would only be by Allah's mercy. So the fact that your uh, Allah looks at your deeds and and uh, that the fact that you are accountable for your acts does not negate. The, the the other uh, uh you know side of it which is very important the allah's mercy and allah accepting you into his mercy right 
Um, so one second here. Okay, Sharif's still not here. Uh, hope yeah, he, he's here. He's here. Oh, he him. there he is. Oh, he's back. All right. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, you look better, brother. Oh, do I? Thank you. You look, you look a couple years younger, too. <laughs> I, I moved to a new room. Subhanallah. Wow. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it, I don't know if you wanted to tag anything on, but uh, Abdul kind of just picked it up where you left off. Okay. I don't know where Abdul said. So I yeah. <laughs> yeah, we might as well just move on, right? Cause and we're yeah. already a half hour in, so and we got yeah. so we still got the Christianity stuff to go. So then the last question on Islam, and people can ask their questions later when you guys come on. We'll put the link out in maybe another 15, 20 minutes, and um, and then you guys will come on shortly after that. But uh, last question is can non Muslims go to paradise? So what do you guys think about that? No. Sure. Yeah, the, I mean, the origin. So 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 that I need to qualify that. <laughs> I mean, uh, so so by so so what we mean by non-Muslims would basically be a um a, a kafir and 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 uh, what 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 what's important here is that you if you are a mushrik or you are a kafir you will end up in hell that's the islamic position however in order to determine who truly is the mushrik and who truly is the kafir uh, aside from the legislative uh, factors that we do know in this dunya the ultimate judgment is for allah and he knows you know he he he, he judges by all the factors that influence a, a, a person's like you know belief formation and, and stances on these things uh, and so many things uh, play a role in that so uh, we're not in a place to judge individuals but generally speaking uh, uh, you know all things being equal uh, a outright state of uh, rejecting and denying the one who is the cause of your very existence uh, makes you worthy of hell yeah, so I was just going to add as well. So obviously the term non-Muslim is a very vague term from an Islamic perspective. Uh, we use the word kafir. Uh, and kafir uh, obviously linguistically comes from the word uh, kafara or kufr, uh, which means to cover up. And the idea is, is that it's to cover up or conceal the truth that they know, but they try to conceal it in one way or another. Yeah, or They try to lie. Uh, to, even to themselves about it so the question and i think we touched upon this at the beginning uh, of the show with in terms of who is responsible so the question is well what about the average non-muslim who's never heard islam or has heard very little about islam or has heard a very distorted version of islam and on that perspective there is ikhtilaf, like i said at the beginning a diff scholarly difference of opinion about what that person's status is now, some scholars, they say that a people who have not heard about Islam and they come across on the Day of Judgment, that they will be presented by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will present himself and test them on the Day of Judgment. And if they pass the test, then they enter Jannah. If they don't pass the test, uh, then they enter Hellfire. So there will be a test for them. Uh, and that's what some scholars, uh, they argue. Right. So, <clears throat> uh, maybe, maybe maybe someone needs to touch also on the idea of what Muslim means. So, um, maybe yeah. sure if you can, you can, or Jake, you can touch upon that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Muslim in 
in terms of what it just means linguistically, is someone who submits himself to God. Um, obviously, it has a certain connotation being associated with the religion of Islam, so to speak. But yeah, technically, um, somebody because the Quran does mention in other places, and, and this is where it gets a little tricky about the there are certain people from people of the book um, that are mentioned favorably, and so could they be construed of as Muslim in a certain sense in that they submit themselves to God, they do good, they believe in God, they don't believe in Trinity and all these other false doctrines that we, we go through here. Um, I mean, that I guess that's kind of the debated question, right? And as Sharif said, certain people who didn't even hear the message of Islam at all, they will be presented with a test. Um, it's not like they're just going to be oh, automatically going to heaven or automatically going to hell. It doesn't work like that. So I don't know if you wanted to add anything else on the term Muslim, Abdul. Well, okay. Can I just uh, really quickly, I was going to mention, obviously in the Quran, it mentions Islam and Muslim, mm -hmm. <clears throat> both in a linguistic sense and also a shari'i sense. Yeah. Uh, shari'i basically means uh, legislative or has a divine meaning to it, Yeah, or a a technical meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet Sallallahu or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described to the particular meaning. So we mentioned about Ibrahim al-Islam being a Muslim, but it's mm -hmm. used in a linguistic sense in, in the context of linguistically, as Jake mentioned, it means the one who submits to the, the will of God. Mm -hmm. uh, so Ibrahim al-Islam, Isa al-Islam, Jesus, Abraham, Noah, they're all Muslim from the Islamic paradigm. And the people who followed them, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're all considered Muslim uh, from a linguistic point of view. But but there's also a technical meaning of the word Muslim, which is all, and Islam, which is also mentioned within the Quran and the Sunnah, which basically means the one who follows the message of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and it normally yeah. it's used within the definite uh, definite article to differentiate uh, from the indefinite to the definite article to differentiate whether it's being used linguistically or in a technical sense. So, mm. so yeah, so th th this is a person who's a Muslim. So that's why on the day of judgment. The one who's not heard Islam, some scholars say they will be tested. There's some hadith that talk about this as well, that they will be tested uh, and that if they pass that test, meaning that they submit to the will of God, that therefore they will be considered, quote unquote, uh, a, a Muslim, even though they're not from a the ones who understood or followed the revelation of the Prophet wasallam in that technical sense. Right. Uh, Sharif, did, did you... See my message on WhatsApp there. I don't know if he, oh you're able to see it. Oh but, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just need to. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know, Abdul, if you had any final thoughts because they're kind of wrapping up the Muslim section and move over to Christianity. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fine. I'm, I'm okay. Cool. So, Jake, seen as you uh, and uh, Abdurrahman are our resident experts on Christianity. Let me ask you the question now. <laughs> so, uh, what about Christianity? How is that? So, from an Islamic point of view, uh, belief, good actions, allows you to gain the mercy of God. You seek repentance of the sins that you do, uh, and uh, and as Muslims, we're promised. Therefore, uh, we do these things, we fulfill these conditions, we gain salvation. From Christianity, how does it work? Yeah. So. 
again, this is a broad stroke, and then we're going to go into detail. So I'm going to ask answer as general as I can. But the common Christian understanding is, look, Jesus Christ, who they also believe was the Messiah, many of them also believe that he's God, most of them in the Trinitarian sense, right? Uh, he died for your sins. And this is explicit in um, – in the New Testament, you'll see, and this is a bit controversial, but some scholars think that, for example, the Gospel of Luke doesn't actually uh, support this doctrine because the New Testament, <clears throat> which is a large portion of what Christian doctrine is based on, has different authors. The reality is, is some of them have different ideas. So some of them think that the, doc the Gospel of Luke doesn't actually support this idea of uh, atonement for sins in the way that somebody like Paul does in his uh, writings in the New Testament or even Mark or Matthew. So, <clears throat> but in Christianity, in the religion of Christianity and the way that it's taught, most of the time it's going to be presented as Jesus Christ, who's God on earth, came down and he died for your sins. Now, what that means is that um and this is where we get into the sort of the more details about it there are different theories of what christ's death burial and resurrection actually means and 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 we're going to get into that in a little bit but the the basic idea is that okay christ came to die for our sins because we couldn't live up to the law of the old testament it was so difficult for people to actually live up to that law. And nobody can do that. Nobody can perfectly uh, live up to the law and to be in God's presence. We have to be made perfect. So Christ had to come and die for our sins in order to put us in a right standing and relationship with God. Also, he had to come and defeat death because Christians have this idea of original sin with Adam and Eve, that when they committed that sin in the garden, that that is what brought uh, death into the world. And so that you don't die because of natural causes or something like that. You, you literally die because of sin. Sin is why people die, right? So Christ also had to come and conquer death. He also had to come and conquer the corrupt human nature that we now possess in light of original sin, this, this doctrine that because Adam and Eve sinned and it gets passed down through the lineage and the human natures that everybody possess are corrupted, Christ had to come to perfect that human nature. So there are many different aspects of it, but in general, the idea is that we are right with God if we confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and we repent of our sins, then we're, we're basically going to go to heaven. This is their basic idea. So, so let me just try to understand this. So from this, what you're saying is a number of things. There's a, yeah. a number of aspects in terms of how they view sin. First one is you can't fulfill you, your, your standards, your ability to get right with God is impossible because God is perfection and you're imperfect. Yeah. So you just can't get there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. there's, there's that inability. Uh, mm -hmm. The second thing you're saying is that death is the punishment for sin. So mm -hmm. you've got this, like, you know, according to Christians, they believe that, you know, uh, 
Adam السلام, or, uh, and Eve that, uh, that they committed sin, that's it. خلاص. If you commit sin, the only punishment, uh, the only, the only, uh, yeah, the only punishment you're going to receive is death. There's no mm-hmm. way. You cannot get out of this. This is it. Yeah. God has said punishment for sin is death. And so as a result, then there's this, the Christ figure, which fits in. So how, how does this Christ figure then bridge these two gaps? It was just, it, for my mind, with these two key gaps, isn't it? You can't get right with an infinite, perfect God. And the punishment for sin is death. Therefore, we're all sinners because of we're all born sinful. Therefore, there's no way of escaping death. So therefore, we need this, what is it, substitutionary atonement? Is, yeah. that, is this where it comes in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so one example of this idea is in, you can find it in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5 verse 21 where it says i'm reading from the english standard version says for our sake he made him and speaking it's it's speaking of god made him speaking of uh jesus christ uh to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god so it's this idea that jesus who was sinless he didn't know any sin He became sin, meaning that he took on the sins of the world so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So it's this idea that Christ took on the sins of humans, right? A perfect man took on the sins of humans so that we would be able to become and have uh, the righteousness of God or for the sake of this discussion, be able to have that ability to have salvation with god so that's the idea um and part of it for them very importantly is the idea that christ was sinless he wasn't a sinner uh and for many of them he was god on earth right so it's actually god coming and dying for sins so that we don't owe this debt or payment uh (coughs) to god himself So, uh, Abdurrahman, if you want to jump in, just feel free to jump in, inshallah, yeah? So, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to understand this now. So, uh, so, basically, you've got this idea that God had to be the only one that could, sacrifice, that could pay the debt. God is perfect, so he needed a perfect sacrifice, and that's impossible for a human being. So, therefore, it'd have to be God himself that had to come to earth to sacrifice himself in order to pay mm-hmm. for the debt of humanity. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's the basic idea. But obviously there are caveats and <clears throat> there are different understandings of Christ's death, but that's the basic idea and the one that's you're going to find uh, most when you, when you speak to Christians. And then the second aspect of that is that because God did this perfect sacrifice mm-hmm. of death, took on the punishment of death that therefore God could fulfill the, the, his promise that sin, the, 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 the punishment for sin is death. God could actually punish sin by death, mm-hmm. by uh, reincarnating onto this earth, mm-hmm. dying for the sins of people and therefore says, right, okay, that's payment. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I mean, 
and early on, people don't actually know. Uh, uh, there was a theory held um, in which the payment was actually not made to God. It was actually made to Satan, to the devil. You see? But that's a whole nother can of worms. But let's just say that it's made to God. God himself is dying because it's like, you can think of it like this in modern terms. It's like everybody's got a negative bank account. And no matter what you do, you can't even get to a zero balance. Forget about getting to a million dollars. You can't even get to a net of zero. Everybody's in the negative. So God needs to come along and die for us in order to get us to that you know, positive balance, or at least to a net of zero, everybody's in the negative. But in this case, and I know it's kind of a crude way of saying it, but he's paying himself. Um, because unless you want to say that he's paying the devil or somebody else, but that's <laughs> even worse, you see. So, um, but yeah, that's the idea. Okay, so are there different theories regards to this issue of atonement then? Because you said, obviously, yeah. the issue of paying the devil, you said that Jesus yeah. became sin. Yeah. He, he actually ha then had the sinful nature. What, what, what's the particular model? Sorry. Oh, yeah. So, no, I don't think that um, people understand it in that literal sense of that he literally took, you know, he literally became sinful. Um, no, Christians don't understand it that way. But what they do... They understand it more in a, in a metaphorical sense that he took on the sins of people, basically, that um, not that he literally became guilty. Um, he, he, he became a representation of the sin? Yeah, maybe? Like yeah a... he's basically a representation to, to stand in between. He's a mediator, you see, because he, you have that in the New Testament where it says that Christ Jesus is the one mediator between God and men. So he sort of steps in between and plays that role. Um, but speaking on the different theories, not everybody understands Christ's death as a substitutionary atonement. You also have other models. And unfortunately, we don't we don't have a lot of time to go into detail. But I just want people to know that there are other conceptions of Christ's death that are not necessarily this common understanding that we hear of substitutionary atonement. One example, and this is just one example, is this idea that's called the Christus Victor model. And the Christus Victor model really doesn't have much to do with um, Christ paying uh, a penalty for our sins or this or that or this substitutionary atonement that we were guilty so he had to die for us. No, this idea of Christus Victor mainly is that in Christ's self-sacrificial act, he became a paradigm of what it was like for somebody to be merciful and to be loving and self-sacrificial. And he became that figure that Christians should look at and implement into their life, you see. But it was not in the same sense as how we understand it or many Christians portray today as this substitutionary atonement. It's, it's totally different. So I want, just want people to keep in mind that there are other models like this Christus Victor model or ransom theory or governmental theory and all these different other theories that have slight differences between them. 
Uh, but actually, the Christus Victor model was very, I will say, very influential and somewhat popular on in the early church. And later, especially through the Protestant Reformation, a lot of these ideas kind of be became filtered out. And what we hear commonly today is uh, what's called penal substitutionary atonement. Uh, and that's that's just one theory of Christ's death. And um, so, yeah, anyway, we unfortunately we don't have time is, to go is, through all um, of them. Yeah, so is substitutionary atonement the standard, like mainstream? I mean, I know it is today, maybe, but uh, like when we're speaking about orthodoxy, is there like a particular model or are these like later philosophical considerations that, that, that are derived from orthodox beliefs? Um... So, I mean, the question of orthodox is tricky because it depends who you ask. But for Protestants, definitely p penal substitutionary atonement <clears throat> is the most um, most popular and would be considered orthodox for them. For uh, Catholics, um, it, it's a little bit different. Some of them like to hold to uh, this governmental theory. <clears throat> and then Eastern Orthodox is a little bit different as well. But what you'll see is that a lot of times it's not so, it's not that they contradict one another, these theories, but many times they choose to emphasize one particular point over another, you see? So, um, for example, Eastern Orthodox really emphasizes this idea of theosis or this idea that um, basically humans are going to become gods or godlike. Uh, and that is achieved through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it's a lot about um, sort of uh, taking over and um, not a payment to the devil, but basically this notion that there Jesus came to conquer death and restore our human nature. So it's a bit, it's very restorative in the fact that Christ came to restore the human nature to the original state that Adam was before he sinned. It's not so much as much about paying for the sins and this idea of, uh, of Christ is punished because of us type of deal. And it's not as much about that. It's more restorative in nature. So, so just uh, so how does this relate? Because obviously you've got Jesus dying for people's sins. Yeah. The penal substitutionary theory or atonement. How does that relate to an ordinary person or ordinary Christian self, uh, seeking salvation? Does he have to do anything? Does he, does he have to do works? Does he have to have beliefs? What is it? What's the relationship between the two? Yeah, so for for Catholics, and again, this is going to be because there's some diversity in Christianity. For Catholics, they do have this idea of works. Not that the works necessarily merit the salvation because they still believe that it's through grace and through Christ's death on the cross. But at the same time, the, the, the works are important. So they go to, and, and you can look up, you'll see debates between Christ, um, like Protestants and Catholics. They go to the book of James, where James actually says that faith without works is dead. You see? And this was such a problem for Protestants like Martin Luther. 
that he didn't even like the book of James. He actually doubted its authenticity. It was such a, it was such a big problem for him, uh, the book of James. And so, yeah, for some, for some people like Catholics, and this is why they have all these different sacraments and, and things that they have to do because in reality, uh, and also that's why they have the, I think it ties in this idea of purgatory, which is a place not the same as heaven because they have this division. I, I know I'm kind of mixing a lot of these things together, but they have this division of sins of sins that basically are, are deadly sins, so to speak. And then ones that are minor sins. If you commit those, or if you are committing those deadly sins, just because Christ died doesn't mean, oh, you're, you're just going to go to paradise. They don't believe that. But for Protestants, it, even though they want to deny that maybe in word uh, as well, in reality, I think that's what their position results in. The reality is Christ died for you. All of the sins that you committed, if, he tr if you truly believe in him, all those sins are metaphorically nailed to the cross. And so there's nothing that God can really hold you accountable for because Christ paid the penalty for all of them. You see, so there is a division between how the Protestants understand it and how the Catholics and Orthodox understand it. They're a little bit more work related, whereas the Protestants, um, not so much. It's almost like this uh, what you call antinomian doctrine, which is basically you, you can do whatever you want. And I know some people are going to say, well, Jake, you're misrepresenting and blah, blah, blah. But honestly, I think that's the reality of it. So, okay. So from what I understand really quickly then, so for an ordinary Christian, they have to believe in Jesus being God, Jesus as God coming down uh, onto the earth, Jesus dying for the sins of human beings. If they don't believe in that, you know, then that's it. Irrespective of what they do and what else they, they believe in, they're not going to be saved. Yeah. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. yeah. And then there's, there's two groups. Oh, the two general camps within Christianity, one which is related to uh, works. Uh, I think from my understanding, what Protestants basically say is that there is a transformation in the individual. Yeah, the individual transforms because he's accepted Jesus now, uh, you know, who's God and died on the cross. He transforms into this, you know, angelic type character. Yeah, this, you know, this godly like character. Yeah. And so his good actions are just a manifestation of God transforming him. And then with the Catholics and the Protestant, uh, the Orthodox, they believe that there is some sort of transformation, but they also believe that you're still going to be held accountable for your actions and you therefore need to focus right. upon your actions. And I mm -hmm. think that's probably why we sort of see within Catholics and Orthodox Christians, there's a lot more emphasis on adhering to tradition, whereas for the protestants it's like pretty much seems like anything goes really in terms of you know yeah. how they worship and what they do you know mm -hmm. what they eat all these types of things just you know they don't, they don't really have a you know uh, laws or regulations in in that context and even within mm -hmm. the catholics and orthodox there's relatively minimal aspects re relate to that as yeah well. so have i got that sort of yeah and i think i mean Obviously, it's an overgeneralization, but I think we can kind of see that play out is that um, the relations 
between, I think anyway, Muslims and uh, Catholics tend to be a bit better than with Protestants. And I think it does mm. have something to do um, with this idea, but Allahu Akbar. Yeah. So, okay. So this, it, so sometimes what Christians try to do is they try to pre present the penal substitutionary atonement as though it's a necessary, rational, just thing. And that what they then argue is they argue that the Muslim position is actually a logically incoherent position. That God, how could God just forgive? They're like, how could God just forgive your sins? Yeah, you sinned against an infinite creator. There's no way that that would be unjust for God to say, you know, that he's, he's, he's just, he's al-adil, or obviously they don't use the word adil, but he's just, yeah, so therefore how could God, being just, simply forgive a person of their sins? So they, they try to present it as though it's just a rational position that they, you know, it's just a logical, rational position. Yeah, and the question is, is it rational and just? I don't think it is. I mean, to say that, and you have to understand what I just described, how they view Christ, they view him as a sinless, innocent man. He didn't do anything wrong in order to even die from the beginning. He died for everybody else. Well, is it rational and just for an innocent man to die for the sins of all the guilty? Well, in what world? In what world does that make any sense? Not to me, at least. So, I mean, I'm happy to hear what you guys have to say about that. But I don't think that an innocent person dying for the sins of all of the guilty, I don't think that's rational. I don't think that's just. If, if somebody, and we can think of this in um, our court system, if somebody kills somebody else, do we say, oh, you know what? His buddy feels bad for him. So he said, you know what? There's something wrong with this guy. Why don't you kill me instead of him? No, nobody's going to go for that. Nobody's going to be uh, happy with that. We're not going to give a, the death penalty or a life sentence to this other guy just because he felt bad for his friend who went out and shot all these people. No, it doesn't work like that. And so I don't think from an intuitive perspective, it makes any sense for a, a, an innocent person to be put to death for everybody else that is guilty of these crimes and sins against God. But Jay, well, no, I, 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 I had a thought there. Can I just push Jake on a point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Abdurrahman, if you want to come in before uh, Jake, is a... no, 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 well, no. Okay, no. go, go but, for it first. But the issue is this: is that God has to punish sin. God, this is what the, the argument would be. God has to punish sin. To be just, you can't just arbitrarily say, okay, well, you know, this person who committed the exact same sin as another person, that that person will be forgiven without facing any punishment, but this person will face punishment. Surely that's problematic, is what their argument would be. Yeah, I don't think that's what happens. I don't think God just arbitrarily says, oh, I like Sharif. You know, he he looks nice today, so he's going to go to heaven. I don't think I don't think that's what happens. But I do what I do think is happening. I think God is judging people justly and he's not saying, well, OK, let's take this innocent person and we're going to punish him uh, because this other guy committed a heinous act or a crime. No, I don't see how that makes any sense. But in the same sense, each individual person, 
everybody's going to be judged uh, justly. It's not going to be this arbitrary thing. And the idea that sin needs to be punished. Well, where do you get this idea from? You have, and, and this is kind of skipping ahead, but we have so many things, in, in, even in the Bible, in the Old Testament specifically, in which God forgives people who repent. He doesn't require a sin sacrifice, whether it be a human or an animal. People repent and turn to God and say, wow, we really messed this up and we want to get right with you. And they turn and they change their lives around and they start doing the right thing. And what, what happens? God forgives them. In fact, there are many places in the Old Testament where he says, I don't delight in sacrifice. I don't even like this stuff. I appreciate a repent heart. That's what I really want. And even with the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, it wasn't just the animal sacrifice. That was more a symbolic representation of what was supposed to be happening. If the person actually did not turn and repent correctly with their heart, and God knows that whether they did or not, it wasn't accepted. It wasn't efficacious. The The animal didn't do anything. It, it's like if somebody uh, performed the, the sacrifice, uh, for example, whether it be on Yom Kippur or another type of sin sacrifice, if the person didn't accept it or they said they did, but they actually didn't repent and turn away from their from their wicked ways, it was of no good. It didn't do anything. You see? So God doesn't need to punish somebody, whether it be an animal in our place or another human. That's not what it's about. It's about repenting to God and turning around and doing good deeds. That's what it is. So, so I think what, what I sort of sense when Christians talk about this issue of being it being rational and, you know, you've got this logical incoherency is that they're smuggling in a lot of presuppositions and they're using this as a way to sort of superimpose this upon it as though this is a rational idea. Like, for example, the punishment of sin is death. Well, nothing in Islam says that. In fact, the opposite. It says that every person who commits sin, if they don't repent, they're punished. The idea is that there's a caveat that there is still opportunity to repent. The second issue is that, well, okay, just because you accept God so, uh, incarnated and sacrificed and therefore you're given this grace or mercy, you know, there's, you're still a finite, limited, sinful human being that has been, you know, forgiven, quote unquote, by God because of a particular set of beliefs. Well, OK, yeah, but we're saying the same thing, but not because of this particular idea of believing that God incarnated, but rather we believe that, you know, you know, the correct set of Islamic beliefs and righteous actions that that gives us the ability to gain uh, gain the salvation and the reward. So, you know, there's a lot of things that it sounds like that the Christians are smuggling in to try to make it sound as though it's rational that, you know, God can't, you know, forgive uh, without, um, you know, without some sort of punishment being enacted. That that only comes. I could accept it if in the Islam, if in Islam it says in the Quran it says God has to punish or God makes a promise that He will punish every single sin, yeah, irrespective of whether you repent or not. Then then you've got a logical incoherency here, isn't it? But it never says that within within Islam. So to superimpose a Christian doctrine upon Islam and then say that you're being irrational. 
they're not just simply, uh, you know, smuggling in their own presuppositions regards to this. I know you've touched upon it, but I just wanted to uh, just, you know, ask the question about, you know, this this idea of salvation. Is it really in conformity with the Old Testament, the Torah, Jewish understanding? You know, that this idea that, you know, because, again, some Christians, what they do is they always point to this idea of animal sacrifice, that this is the only way that the people prior to Jesus were able to get forgiven. So there's always a sacrifice that took place, mm -hmm. and this is now the perfect one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's in conformity with the Old Testament. You can look at, uh, and I'm just going to rattle some of these off because we, we've been going on for an hour and we got a couple more questions. You can look at Ezekiel chapter 18. You also can find in the book of Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 24, where it mentions that the sons for example, shall not be put to death for the fathers and vice versa. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin, which means what? That people are punished for what they do. People are not punished for what other people did instead of them. Also, you find in the Old Testament that it rails against human sacrifice. This idea of human sacrifice is just absolutely abominable to the God of the Old Testament. Also, even the uh, sacrificial system of animals in the Old Testament, Jews understood that as being for unintentional sins, for those sins that they committed unintentionally or didn't even know about. This is what these sacrifices were for. It wasn't for murder. If you went out and killed somebody or you stole something from somebody or you committed adultery with somebody's wife, you didn't just kill an animal and everything was all good. It doesn't work like that. So that's that's another thing. Also, you find numerous examples in the Old Testament of God forgiving people without the need of a sacrifice. For example, the whole story of Jonah, and we know uh, Muslims what happened with the story of Jonah is somewhat similar. That what everybody actually repented and God forgave them when Jonah went back. God forgave them because they repented an entire nation or people were forgiven without a sacrifice. And we, we can go on and on. There are numerous examples where sacrifices are not, not only not uh, necessary, they're not even um, uh, liked. Like God talks about in the Old Testament that I don't delight in these sacrifices. I don't even want them. What I want is a repent and contrite person. I don't care about these uh, sin offerings. So, no, I do not think that it is in conformity with the Old Testament. Just to remind also the audience, just really quickly, we're going to be going shortly. We've just got a couple of more points that we want to raise before we go to the audience. We get people to call in. You know, and if you disagree with what we're saying, you want to challenge it, inshallah, uh, you'll have the opportunity. So, but uh, just to quickly move on. Have we, uh, Jake, have we addressed, uh, was Jesus' death necessary for salvation? Yeah, I do want to make one point on that. The because there's really there's only one other question here. Uh, the the other question about do all New Testament authors ag agree on soteriology? I said earlier that um, scholars say that Paul has this idea of how we uh, you know how Christ died for our sins. So does for all appearances Mark and Matthew and John seem to as well. But Luke, on the other hand, does not seem to endorse this doctrine of uh, atonement 
that Christ dies literally had the substitutionary atonement that he dies for our sins. The reason that they think this is because uh, most scholars believe that Mark was the first gospel written in which Matthew and Luke used as a source for writing their gospels. And we're able when we line these three gospels up side by side, and that's why they're called the synoptic gospels because they're more or less in sync. Whereas John is the seen to be the final gospel that was written and it's a bit different. It has totally different stories, uh, seemingly higher Christology and theology when it comes to Christ. But anyway, um, Matthew and Luke, we can see because they're using Mark as a source, we then compare how they tell the same stories that Mark had. And we're able to see that there's an editing process that sometimes goes on. For whatever reason, Luke did not seem to be down or have the same understanding of this idea of atonement that Mark and um, uh, Matthew's gospel did. Matthew seems to be holding more closely to uh, Mark's theology in that regard. And Luke edits out some of the sayings in Mark's gospel that portray that, and he does not uh, tell the story the same way. He leaves them out all the time. So um, that was just a quick remark on that, that uh, and I can give quotes maybe later if need be from scholars saying that Luke doesn't appear to have this idea of substitutionary atonement going on in his gospel. Um, and then on the last point here about uh, death being necessary for salvation or not, I actually want to share my screen and read a section here from... Uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas, who's the doctor of, a of the church, of the Catholic church, that is, uh, where he answers this question. Because what happens is many Christians say Christ needed to come and die for our sins. It was absolutely necessary. There's no other possibility. There's no other way that God could have done that. Well, in actual fact, there's what Muslims call ikhtilaf on this issue, even amongst uh, Christian theologians and scholars some believe that it was absolutely necessary some believe that it wasn't thomas aquinas answers the question uh, quite directly and he says no that it wasn't so um let me just pull it up here i think my screen is sharing now right um so this is in the summa which is his, uh, the third part question number 46 uh you'll see here was it necessary for christ to suffer for men's deliverances and you'll see on, he's got uh, objections here and responses to them. Now, he says here, um, objection number one, look, it would seem that there was no, uh, was, was there, article two, let me start here actually, whether there was any other possible way of human deliverances besides the passion of Christ, meaning besides Christ dying, it would seem that there was no other possible way, this is an objection, of human deliverances besides Christ's passion. For our Lord says, John 12, 24, Amen, Amen, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falling into the ground dieth, itself remaineth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And it goes on and lists other objections. So the way that this book is constructed, for those who don't know, uh, he'll bring a question, he'll bring what people uh, were either hypothetically or maybe they're real people who are actually saying these things. 
and then he'll respond to the objections. So he responds to this question where somebody is seeming to assume this. He says, on the contrary, Augustine says, and he quotes Augustine here, and he does this many times, he quotes Augustine. We assert that, uh, we assert that the way whereby God uh, deigned to deliver us by the man, Jesus Christ, who is mediator, and I brought up this concept before, mediator between God and men, is both good and befitting the divine dignity. But let us also show that other possible means were not lacking on God's part to whose power all things are equally subordinate. So he's saying there is another possibility. Even though it was good and befitting for God to do this, There, let's not get confused. There are other possibilities. He says, I answer that a thing may be said to be possible or impossible in two ways. First of all, simply and absolutely, or second, from supposition. Therefore, speaking simply and absolutely, it was possible for God to deliver mankind otherwise than by the passion of Christ, because, quote, no word shall be impossible with God. And he cites Luke 137. So he's quite clear on answering this question that uh, Christ, there could have been another way that God could have reconciled man with God. Just uh, Jake, should we uh, jump to any guests? Or... Yeah, so did we post the link yet? Did you guys post it? I think it? We, post, we posted the okay. link, yeah. So we as long as the link. link is posted and it's pinned there, I do want to address one um, falsehood that was just put out against me. Uh, let me see if I can scroll to. Anyway, I can't. Somebody actually said, wait, Jake's back and he's not wearing red. Well, look, guys, my hat is always red. So come on. What kind of comment is that? And then the Levi's logo is also red. Maybe you didn't see that. So um, I had to deal with that, uh, you know, Spurgeon that was cast against me. But anyway, guys, so uh, just, yeah. just want to say the first guy we're going to bring on is very special. Brother Zach. <laughs> Long time no see. I'm happy to see you. Well, no, yeah, it's it's, it's good to see you. I, you got back from your trip to Morocco, and yeah, you know, I'm that. I moved How back have you been, to brother? Turkey. You're back. You're back in uh, Van, eh? Yeah, yeah. How's that going? Good. We actually moved back to the same house at Hamdulillah, so you know. Oh uh, wow, you, that's great. Yeah, the yeah the landlord he he didn't he didn't rent it out and so when we came back he was happy to bring us back in. So alhamdulillah, it's very good. Alhamdulillah. Good, good to hear it's going well. Alhamdulillah, we've missed you a lot. Likewise. So uh, Likewise. so Zach Zach is going to be hanging out with us here. So uh, we've got uh, uh, Otango. Oh, did he want, Zach, did you want to say anything uh, really quick based on anything you heard or you just want to hang out with the guests when they come on? Yeah, I actually did want to say something. So if, uh, and maybe kind oh, of, get sorry, you I, I didn't know that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I put it in the chat in the beginning, but you know, when the chat is hard <laughs> to see, you won't, you're limited yeah. to what, like 200 characters. So I'm just going to like put it out here now, what y'all think about it and whatnot and whatnot. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when we were talking about like Shirk being the unforgivable sin, so going back like pretty far in the beginning, what I always understood was that 
the shirk by definition by associating partners with God. It's essentially calling him not absolutely powerful or not absolutely forgiving, not absolute in, 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 in any and every sense. Essentially, that's what shirk is. And so implicitly, that means that the person is uh, saying that God, uh, Hasha, is unable to forgive everything. And so therefore removes the uh, the uh, the the, you know, how can I put that? He removes that notion that he negates the notion that God can forgive anything and therefore puts himself in the position of not asking God to forgive everything of him. And that's in a sense why it's unforgivable. It's unforgivable from the uh, person who commits Shirk's perspective. Yeah, no, Jazakallah. I think that was the point where I had to come off the stream because I was lagging. But I, I, do, I wanted to mention uh, one or two points regards to the issue of Shirk. In origin, if you don't seek repentance from Shirk, then you're never forgiven. Yeah, this is the the origin within Islam. But obviously, with regards to the other sins, that if you don't seek repentance from the major sins, uh, then you will be punished uh, for it, uh, and punishment may be hellfire for a period of time. But then the idea is that if you still have the fundamental belief in Tawheed, that you'll be ultimately forgiven. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, let's just move on to Atangelo, because I think he's been waiting for a, for an, uh, a while. So... Tangelo, how are yes, you? Hello, guys. Uh, can, yeah, I'm Can you hear me well? Uh, you're choppy on my end. I don't know for everybody else. A little bit choppier here as well, but I can, we can yeah, hear same you. Here. Yeah, but we can. I think we can sort of get understand most of what you're saying. Otangelo? Yeah, try try to yeah. say something now, buddy. Yeah, I try. Yeah, I try to change. I hear okay, the microphone, that's better. but unfortunately, yeah, it's better. It's, that's better, okay. actually. Yeah, you're so, coming clearly now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I think you guys are talking about a very central and very important topic, which is forgiveness. And of course, we all aim to be forgiven. As uh, as Muslims believe in Allah, we Christians also believe that God is real. But the big question here, of course, is how can we actually expand eternity? And I think we both, based on what we hear, very different views. And um, uh, I, 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 I see it like a transaction that uh, is very clear in 1 Corinthians 6.20, uh, where it says, for you were both at the price. Therefore, glorify in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And with both, what it means, what is meant by that? This Acts 20, 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. Okay. And in Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a, a ransom for many. So um, this is very clear. Here it speaks about a transaction where God takes price for our sins. He takes what the things that we do. Okay, he pays the price, which is... Okay, carry on. You're back. Yeah. So... Um, God said, so pay the price for our sins, and that is the way by us as 
believing that uh, as a gift from God that, that we can be saved. So this is very clear. It is very strange to me. It is as if, um, for example, um, giving uh, um, someone tor tortures, rapes, and kills your daughter. He is close to you. You are the father of that daughter. And then he whines and says, oh, I am so sorry for what I did. And then the father will say, oh, you are sorry. Well, it's like Go and live your life. Uh, Atangelo, I think this is illogical. Yeah. So, Atangelo, it's a good question. And I think we want to address some of the, the key points. Uh, we're going to keep you on so you can respond as well. So, but I just want to understand a few few uh, quick issues. Do you, do you believe that the 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 salvation, the, the theory of salvation within Christianity is rational? What I mean by rational is that even without Christian text, it would be logically necessary, or do you think it's just something that's a scripturally uh, based view? Well, sometimes, um, I think that uh, sorry, Atangelo, you're breaking up. Sorry, you're breaking up slightly. Is it better now? Yes, better now. Yeah. So, going, you were saying okay. Yeah. So. Okay, so I'll quote here from First uh, Corinthians. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So, um, I can see foolish to someone which um, is not a Christian, but we understand God has demonstrated his justice. Tangela, so you're breaking up really, really bad. It's very difficult to make up what you're saying. So, so Tangela, yeah, you're breaking up. But from what I understand, what you're what you're basically saying is that the idea of salvation for a non-Christian would seem foolish, but it's not foolish. But would the idea of salvation within the Christian paradigm would it be something that's you could come to, you could arrive at prior to any religious basically prior to the New Testament, would you be able to understand it prior to maybe Jesus coming? Would the early, you know, uh, with the, the Jewish followers of the Old Testament, would they be aware of this idea of salvation? Or is it something that they weren't aware of and it only came about after Jesus' uh, appearance on earth? Well, well, I am not sure if they uh, knew that their sacrifice system was just a shadow of what God was. But, I mean, uh, let's suppose that you have someone which transgresses um, a red light and is brought in front of judge. And the judge says, judge, I am really sorry for what I did, but I do not have money to pay the fine uh, for the expression. And then if it doesn't have the money, it will be condemned to go to jail. And the judge feels compassionate about it and pays the price and pays the fine for that person and that person goes free. Is there, is there something irrational, unjust, or illogical? 
in the charge doing that? Okay, so uh, good, really good question. I want to, uh, you know, I'll get Jake, bring Jake in. I just what is? I'm just trying to understand your particular positioning. So, in origin, you're saying that the Jews who followed the Old Testament wouldn't really have known anything about how to achieve salvation prior to Jesus. They may have had some sort of foreshadowing, but they would have had this notion that if you seek repentance, you could be forgiven, like the people of Jonah. That uh, you know, if you're trying to get right by God, that you try to do it, you know, through being sincere and having correct belief and doing good righteous actions, I upholding the law uh, for for the Jews, because they would understand it from that perspective. Then there was a there was a there was a change, yeah, in terms of or an addition, in, in, from your perspective, which is obviously not actually no. This is the real way of sal achieving salvation. Uh, regards this. The, the the final question I was going to ask you before bringing Jake to respond to two of your key points is what about um, uh, a baby who dies and therefore doesn't have the ability to acknowledge that uh, Jesus died for their sins? Uh, would they be saved or would they not be saved? Yes, of course. Babies will be saved, and I am not a Calvinist, which believes that um, all people are predestined, and that we cannot actually uh, 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 do anything in regards of our eternal destination. I don't believe that, and I think that if if God would um, uh, 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 predestine a baby which cannot make any moral judgment to eternal hell. That would be an absolutely atrocious and unjust uh, okay. deity, and I would I don't believe that. Yeah. So I'm going to bring in Jake here. So I don't know if Jake, you want to respond to maybe that particular point or some of the questions that you also can, can asked. I ask a question real quick before oh, sorry, you bring in Jake because yeah. I think the Jake exchange is going to go on for a while. I just I just uh, because uh, Tangelo confused me a bit there when he said that. Um, uh, the the doctrine is going to seem confusing uh, or f you know foolish to to the unbelievers, uh, but then but then you came on the call here with the intent of 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 uh, demonstrating that it's reasonable by saying that for example the uh, the whole rapist analogy that you gave and his forgiveness was seemed to be an attempt to demonstrate the reasonableness of your position. So, but how, how could you do that if the Bible is already telling you that it necessarily is going to be foolish to us? I mean, what's, what's the point? Yes, if you of, listen, of, yes, if you if you listen to Richard Dawkins, and he um, uh, he rejects uh, women, it's very difficult to hear you, Tangelo. I don't know if you can do something about the connection, but it's impossible to hear you. But I heard Richard Dawkins there, and I'm. I'm, I'm for for your unbelievers too, so it's not just Richard Dawkins. Um, so, 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 and I guess the point you, you kind of cut out too, Abdul. It seems like everybody's having connection problems, man. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. It's weird. I, but, I'm sorry, yeah. but so but, I, I mean, Tangela, you guys have plenty. Yeah, you, what you were saying basically was that Richard Dawkins denies the cross, so therefore all of this would seem ridiculous to him. But for, for us, as no, most... I just gave an example. Yeah, so I just gave an example. Yeah, but we, I mean, you guys deal often with atheists, and you know, um, that they, they, they think that the entire 
um, uh, gospel is uh, nonsensical. So mm. we see many, many people which reject it. It's not just Richard Dawkins. I just mentioned him because he is a prime example and he is very outspoken against the message of the of, uh, yeah. of the gospel. But I, I think the first of what Abdurrahman is saying is that you gave two or you attempted to give two rational or reasoned arguments to try to justify without an appeal to scripture per se one was to say well would a father forgive the rapist of his daughter and the second one was related to the fact that well if a judge brings a person who can't afford it he may pay the money to him so that he can then pay it uh pay the particular fine that, that seemed quite a reasoned uh, position now we can obviously explore that a bit further to see if it is reasoned but it's, it's an attempt on your part Atangelo to present your position that this is a reasonable position and then say well the other position is actually not reasonable yeah the Islam position no, is I'm not, not reasonable. saying it's no I'm not saying it's not reasonable what I say is that what the Bible says is actually what we see that um, the gospel seems unreasonable to many people, and they reject it. But based on what I explained, I think it is not unreasonable, and it is also not unjust. I think that all kinds of sins has to be punished in order to have justice. Okay, I'll bring in Jake here. Jake. Yeah, I, I just want to address the question because he read that text earlier. But if you read a few verses down in First um, Corinthians chapter, this is chapter one. says in verse 23, it says, but we preach Christ crucified onto the Jews, a stumbling block and onto the Greeks foolishness. So for the Jews, it's a stumbling block. For them, them, it doesn't make any sense. It's not something that they saw in their Old Testament text as being prophesied. And for the Greeks who actually seek after wisdom, the text says, it's foolishness. Why? Because it doesn't make any sense. And so that's what we're, I mean, I don't know about, I want to represent everybody, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, yeah, it is foolishness to say that an innocent person should die for the sins of all guilty people is irrational. It is foolishness. And the fact that the author of the text is actually anticipating that and admitting that to me is very telling. Yeah, I mean, as I said, uh, to God, it's not foolish. It is the way that he established in order to grant us forgiveness. When Christ was in Gethsemane and he said to the Father, Father, if possible, let this, this cup uh, go, uh, that I don't have to drink it, then um, the Father didn't grant his prayer. So Christ had to go through it and he went through it. And uh, 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 he was tortured and crucified in the most, uh, 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 in the most painful way. So we see clearly in the New Testament that for God that was necessary in order to be able to forgive us. So um, who are you? Who, who are we to say it is not necessary? Why is it necessary? 
Like, because without punishment, you cannot have justice so, uh, of sins. Why? It just because seems like an assumption. What's, what, you're just no, saying that God not. can't. You're saying that God can't forgive sin without a punishment, but He does it all the time in the Old Testament. So why was He doing it? I would I would say it is not just that it would be be not just, but the Bible is very clear that we are sinners, and um, if we die and come to God, then He will say, okay. The price of your sins is death. And that is very clear in the Bible. God cannot have community. What is wrong? What is evil? So there has to be a price paid. And Christ paid it. And it was, as, it, as, I, as I wrote, it was a transaction for you were both at the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So Christ, he paid the price on the cross, paying for our sins. And we were purchased through his own blood. So um, to me, that is... You, you cut out at the end. I, I think I got most of it, but uh, I, I still don't see why it's necessary when, as I said... In the Old Testament, God forgives sins without requiring a sacrifice and without requiring Jesus as a sacrifice. So I just don't see where you get this idea. I mean, I mentioned earlier all of the people of Jonah. What? Where was the sin sacrificed for them? They were forgiven because they repented. Yes, I understand. Oh, Tanulo, your your connection's still really bad. Yeah, yeah. Is there any way? Is there any way where we can't hear you? We have another person here. We have another person here waiting. Um, you can try to speak maybe one more time, buddy. But it's it's just it's not even intelligible at this point. Okay, we can't hear. So, um, the 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 sacrificial system in the Old Testament where animals animals were killed, they did not actually remove sins. What they did is they covered sins in the way that God didn't see them, but they were actually paid when Christ died on the cross. So that Christ didn't pay only for the sins of the people that came after him, but he paid also the price for the sins of the people which lived before him, in the Old Testament, the forgiveness became effective through his sacrifice. Yeah, but that's a back projection. That's anachronistically looking back on the text of the Old Testament and making that claim. But from the Jews' perspective, they were forgiven. In fact, God says they, they were forgiven. And he says in numerous places, and you have in Psalms chapter 50, you have in numerous places where God says, I don't delight in sacrifices. I delight in a con contrite heart. He doesn't, he doesn't say he needs this sacrifice. And I even read from Thomas Aquinas there where he doesn't say it's necessary. He says that if God wanted to, he could have done it in another way. He just chose to do it this way. Well, the It was thing good and fitting, says... but he didn't have to do it that way. Yeah, the thing that he says that he does not delight 
in sacrifices. Sacrifice that doesn't mean that it is not necessary. If he would not see it as necessary, Christ would not have come to suffer on the cross for our sins. Yeah, but again, that's just begging the question because you're—that's the very thing that's in question. You're just assuming it already. And what you mentioned earlier, actually, about Mark—not uh, Mark, but it's mentioned in <clears throat> several different gospels—the story when Jesus went and prayed to the Father. You have in in uh, you have in Mark's version where he doesn't ask the question; it's actually a command. He said. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto you. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou will. But the point is, he makes the statement to the Father. He says, all things are possible for you. And then he doesn't ask him. He gives a command. He says, take away this cup from me. So if Jesus had to do this, and you also believe that Jesus is God, how did he not know that he was supposed to die on the cross? Why was he telling the Father to take the cup away from him? Well, that was his human desire because he knew that what was in front of him would be big suffering. But then in the end, he said, not my, but your will uh, shall happen. And it was the will of Don't they have the Father. same will? Well, uh, Christ, he was in his human nature and of course um, he had the desire not to go through this suffering but um, the father uh, and they knew but it's not it his human nature it's not his human nature doesn't talk he says not what i will i is referring to the person it's the person of christ who's saying this yes but he was in flesh he was also human and he was subdued to um, human suffering and that was an expression of the suffering that he was going through knowing that he would have to go all through this pain yeah but if he knew that he was going to have to do it why is he complaining about it well because i mean it was an expression of his human situation where he knew that he would have to go through big suffering and of course he, he didn't want it, but he uh, it was necessary in order to pay the price for our well, sins why didn't through he his want blood it, to save us. If Christ was because God and God wants to reconcile all men to himself, why didn't he want it? Because he knew it was, it was going to be big suffering, which he, in his human situation, um, he I mean, nobody wants to be tortured like he was, so he didn't want it. But he had to go through it to pay the price for our sins and to pay uh, to pay the price in order to save us. Yeah, I, I just don't see how in the world you can say that it's only Christ's human nature when he is saying in the text, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto you. Take away this cup from me. And then he says, I, not my will, but your will. He's using personal pronouns and there's only one subject or person in Christ. So it can't be just merely ascribed to his human nature. It's ascribed to the person of Christ, who is also God. Yes, as you know, I believe in the Trinity, in three persons, one substance. So um, he was uh, expressing a desire to the Father 
which was not granted because it was necessary that he would die on the cross in order to save all uh, uh, humanity. And that was necessary, and that's why he went through it. Yeah, I don't know if you guys want to come in, if you have any comments, because we got two other people waiting. Uh, yeah, I was just going to just... Um, I just wanted to ask, so are you saying that prior to uh, Jesus, the uh, the people who followed the Old Testament would have understood that repentance would have been sufficient, or even animal sacrifice would have been sufficient, or do you think that they wouldn't have? Well, if they uh, follow the law of the Old Testament, then they 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 will be they are saved. They will be saved, and um, there is a system of sacrifice in the Old Testament that they had to obey, and if they did obey it, then their salvation was granted. But as I said previously, I think that the animal sacrifices do not remove sins. The only sacrifice which removes sin is Christ's. Uh, 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 dying on the cross. Yeah, but uh, Tangela, I'm trying to understand that you're trying to say that the original, so the, the people prior to Jesus who followed the Torah, they were saved by following the law, they were saved by repentance, they were saved by animal sacrifice. Yeah, they weren't saved because they believed that Jesus died for their sins. Is that correct? Yes, that's yes, that's right. correct. They 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 were saved because they obeyed the the mosaic law. So then the question then becomes, well, if if then you're now saying, but in origin they weren't actually saved. They're no, only that's saved. not what I said. No, 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 that's not what I said. I said that uh, animal sacrifices they are just a symbol of what was to come. God basically he covered the sins of these people. He didn't. See them because there were these animal sacrifices which were a symbol of the real sacrifice which was to come, which was Christ dying on the cross for all humanity. Yeah, but Atangelo, did they understand? Did they know? Did they think, no, actually, this isn't sufficient. What we need is God to incarnate himself upon the earth and then kill himself or be sacrificed in order, and then me believe in it in order for me to be saved. Did they, they did they understand yeah. that? Yeah, you know, I believe in um, in uh, incremental revelation of God, which culminated with Christ becoming man, with God Himself becoming man. Yeah, but Antangelo, you seem to be sort of evading the point. The the question would be not did it progress later on, but did those original people be prior to Jesus who followed the Torah would they have understood? exactly what you believe now is absolutely necessary for all of humanity past present and future to be saved would they have believed that well i am not sure if they understood what i just explained now what i believe nonetheless is that if they uh, obeyed and followed the mosaic law then they were saved okay so why is it then considered illogical and unreasonable for the Islamic position because that's what you initially said because in essence what the prior position was is very much closely aligned to the Islamic position which is that if you are following the law you have the correct belief yeah you yeah I believe in one God 
you, uh, you know, sacrifice when it's necessary for you to do. Like, for example, we have sacrifices on the day of Hajj and even throughout the year as well, you can do as well. And you repent to your Lord that that is sufficient for, uh, for salvation. That would have been the exact same position as those people who followed the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophets. So if it wasn't illogical for them or irrational for them, it wouldn't be illogical, irrational for a Muslim either, would it? Well, the difference, um, Sharif, is that Christ already came. He gave the, the sacrifice, which the Bible is very clear, is the one which is necessary that we accept it, that we surrender to Christ. And he said, I am the truth, the way, and life. Nobody comes to the Father than through me. And that means that his sacrifice is essential. It is his sacrifice that paid the price for us to be saved. But so now, it's, now it's not necessary anymore that you do what you just described. My point is this is my point is this is that that your position is a position based upon what you presume, uh, presume to be divine scripture. That's fine. You can hold that particular position. We can have a discussion later on about that. But initially, what you were trying to argue is that it was irrational to hold the position that the Islamic position was, which is different. When you're saying it's irrational, it means that there's a standard which is logical and rational, which all human beings, whether they lived prior to the revelation given to Jesus or Jesus's life, uh, or after Jesus, like, that they would have understood, that they would have understood that repentance, you know, belief in one God, doing, fulfilling the law, that these things would have been sufficient. That's not irrational for them. You can turn around and say, well, now we have the scripture that we believe is divine, that therefore says we need to now believe in, you know, X position, X belief, you know, and if you don't do it, that's fine. But you can't say that our position is irrational. You can just simply say it goes against my presuppositions about what I believe is scripturally correct. Well, the difference, Sharif, is that there is always a sacrifice involved. Also in the Old Testament. Well, Muslim sacrifice, was, though. Well, Muslim sacrifice. Is, Every year, well, Muslim sacrifice on, uh, on the day of, uh, day of uh, Eid, yeah, day of Eid, in Adul Hijjah. Okay, I, I don't understand your um, religion sufficiently in regards if these sacrifices somehow um, uh, should, should uh, be something that Allah looks upon and then say uh, grants you salvation because of these sacrifices. But what I know is that these sacrifices, they are, in my understanding, not necessary anymore because God already gave himself through Christ as the perfect sacrifice which removes the sin of all humanity. And uh, if Angelo, we, that's if fine. We... You can say it's not necessary now. I, the law has been abrogated according to your particular position. You can say that, that's fine. But that's a scriptural argument. You're, you're arguing that, you know, your scripture says X, yeah? And therefore, if, look, if I turn around and I say my scripture says this, and then I can't turn around and say you're irrational and illogical in your position. I can only say that if you accept my scripture, 
yeah, and then the, we have an argument and discussion and debate about which scripture is correct and is a divine authority. If you if you don't accept it, then you you're holding on to your particular tradition and scriptural tradition. I'm holding on to my particular tradition and scriptural position, and that's fine. You can have that, but I can't turn around and say just because you don't adopt my particular scriptural position that you're being irrational or illogical if we've not had the discussion about why the scripture is correct in the first place. I, d I just don't yeah, see. I, I look. You gave the analogy. You gave the analogy of the father who forgives uh, the rapist or murderer of his daughter or son, and you're saying, "Well, that's irrational." Well, it's not irrational because that's exactly how the Jews who followed the Old Testament prior to Jesus understood how God would forgive. You know. Secondly, you give the example about the judge, and again, you're saying, "Well, this is reasonable." Well, it wasn't reasonable because that's not how the Jews who followed the Old Testament, understood. So both of those positions, they don't seem to be grounded upon rationality. They just seem to be, look, I have a scriptural presupposition, therefore I'm trying to, uh, you know, that's the reason why I believe it. Well, I disagree with you here. I think they understood that um, salvation uh, uh, comes through obeying the Mosaic law. Okay. Um, what else did you say? If I... Yeah, but we, we, we would say, yeah. we would say, as Muslims, we would say, for oh, the, yes, yes, just for sorry, the let Jews, me interrupt you. Let for me interrupt the Jews, you, for the Israel. Oh, go on, go on, Tangela, go on. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, and the, the other thing is that I hear Jake very clearly saying that Allah can simply forgive a Muslim without sacrifices, just one Muslim comes to Allah and says, okay, I repent for my sins. He can say, okay, come in to heaven. It's all right. Without any sacrifice. And Atangelo, Atangelo, Jake gave the example of Jonah and the people of Jonah to say that what was their sacrifice? Were they forgiven just for repentance? Yes, but I am talking now about... Yeah, but then he's believe. given the answer Isn't of saying Christ died and everything in, is going to be back projected onto people in the past. So it's really an unfalsifiable theory because anything you appeal to into Old Testament, even if there was no sin sacrifice, you're going to say Christ took care of that and it's back projected. So you, you really can't get anywhere with that comment. Okay, but I would like to have a clarification here. Can you come to, to Allah when you die and then be forgiven with, un, with any precondition and any, anything whatsoever you did? No, you need, can you need repentance. can simply say to you, okay, you are forgiven. No, you need repentance. Okay, only rep okay, so you can just say, oh, I am sorry for what I did. And then he says, come no. in. <laughs> yeah. it's not, do you think it, Repentance yeah, doesn't come after death. Yeah. And also, uh, Tangelo, do you think repentance is just simply somebody turning around and saying, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, judge, you know, please let me off. And just said, like, okay, then fine, yeah, we'll let you off. No, of course it's not. The idea of Toba, the idea of repentance within the Islamic paradigm, is that a person feels absolute regret for what they did. That if they were to be placed in the exact same position, yeah, that they would not repeat the same mistake, yeah, that they are seeking as best as possible to recompense the mistake that they made through righteous actions, 
through repentance and that therefore God, knowing what is within the intention and heart of a human being, would know that if he was placed in that same position, he would not repeat it. He is therefore being sincere. Yeah. This okay, idea that so what he... happens? Yeah. Okay, so what happens with the, the, the sins that that person has committed on that moment of repentance? Well, the sin is, sin is upon whom? Who's, who, who's he sinning against? God, Allah. Right. So God is forgiving it. Is he facing it? it God doesn't so have to punish every single sin. So you are confirming exactly what I am saying. No, it's not that. <laughs> what it is, is that, look, Atangelo, you believe that God has to punish all sins, yes? Yes. Why? Because it's just. Why is it just? Because. Um, Could God not just forgive a person who repents? Just forgives a person who sincerely repents? The question is, would it be just? Atangelo, could you forgive a person? Can you forgive a person without exacting punishment for that person? Can you do yes, that? Yes, yes, I can do it. Now the question Are you a just is, person? Is it... Are you a just person? Sorry, Tangela, you um, broke up there. Yeah. Now the question is, even if I can do it, is it just? Are, are you just? So you're saying it's not just for you to forgive people. That's not what I am asking. I am asking, is it just that uh, someone rapes, tortures, and kills your daughter for fun? And then you say, and then he comes to you and says, Sharif, I am very sorry. And he will whine in front of you. And then you will say to him, oh, okay, I see that you, you will not do it again. Yeah, what, you're, what you're saying is, Another guy comes in and says, you know what? I'm sorry about your daughter, my friend. You know, there's something wrong with him. But I want to take the punishment instead of him, even though I had nothing to do with it. So I'm going to go to jail for him. What are you going to say to him? Well, that is that is not what I am. What we are talking that's, that's about. That's your right doctrine. Now. No, you're, no you're saying you that an innocent you person comes in you are, and you are says, shifting. you know what? Kill me instead of killing the guy who killed my daughter. That's what you're saying. You are shifting the goal. You're saying somebody has to be punished, but guess what? It has to be an innocent person has to be punished. You are shifting the goalpost, uh, Jake. What no, I want that's to know what you're saying. You... No, listen. What I want to, to know from you, Sharif, is this. Again, yeah. if someone does what I just described, and he comes to you and just whines and says, oh, I am very sorry for it. If a person, okay, so Artangelo, if a person comes to me, yeah, and he's done all these heinous crimes and he whines to me, then no, I'm not. That is not repentance though, is it? Yeah. And there okay, are, by so, the way, there are, Artangelo, okay, I don't so, know if you know, but there are cases, yeah, where a person has murdered somebody's family members. And the person, the family member, the closest family member has turned around and forgiven the murderer because they believe that the murderer was sincerely repentant. Yeah. There are Christians who have done this. Yeah. Are you saying that the Christian who did, who forgave their murder, the, the person who murdered their daughter or their son was wrong to do so, was being unjust? 
Well, all I can give you is very clear from the Bible. And I will quote here from 1 Timothy 2, 5 to 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as ransom for all to be testified in due time. Okay. And knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So these are all terms used to describe a financial transaction. So the Bible yeah, but is a tangible. I'm yeah, trying to well, understand, though, Atangelo. Are you trying to make an argument, say, this is what my scripture says, therefore, I, that's the reason why I believe it? Or are you trying to make a rational argument? Are you trying to say, no, it's rational to hold on to this particular position, meaning independent of scripture, I can justify this particular position using rationality and logic and reason? Because if you're yes, just simply I... saying, this is my scripture, then that's fine. Okay, that's your scripture. I don't think it's rational because of what Jake said, because it doesn't seem reasonable to me that if a person commits sin, that you punish another person who hasn't committed that sin. It seems reasonable to me that if the person commits sin, he bears the responsibility. Either he will be forgiven through his repentance, sincere repentance, because we believe God is the most merciful and the most forgiving. Yeah, not human beings, but God himself or you know, he will be punished by God, yeah? And all of this would be considered uh, justice for us, whether God chooses to uh, uh, forgive the person due to God's knowledge of the person's <coughs> sincere repentance, and therefore if he was placed in that same situation, he wouldn't do it. Or the fact that if God knows that this person is not being sincere in his repentance or hasn't sought repentance, and that he will be punished. And that would also be considered justice for us. But the idea that, you know, an innocent person has to be punished for the sins that somebody else commits, just, it doesn't make sense to me. And a lot of Muslims find it very difficult and problematic. Well, I go with the revelation. I believe that the New Testament is true. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah which was prophesied in the Old Testament that would come. It is also very clear in Josiah 53, which, which says that Christ would be um, suffering, the Lamb would suffer for our sins. So that was foretold that it would happen. So it is not about what I think is rational. It is about what God reveals to us. Yeah, and let's, let's believe, think about it. Yeah, yeah. I believe that the New Testament, the Bible, is authoritative, that it is God's revelation, and that uh, we are all to believe in God's Okay, let's, let, let's read what the Bible says. Let me read for you what the Bible says, okay? Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So what is he saying there? The psalmist is saying, 
look, God, you don't care about these sacrifices. You don't want sacrifices. You want a contrite heart. This is the Muslim position. This is what the Muslim is saying. So you're talking about scripture, but you're using a New Testament lens to back project it onto the Old Testament when they're not in conformity. You have the same thing. This is not just one verse or Jake uh, cherry picking. You have the same thing in Hosea chapter six, verse six. What? For I desire mercy, which is what we're saying. Muslims, interestingly enough, are our, our God, I would argue, is more merciful than yours. For I desire mercy and not sacrificed and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So you want to say, oh, you stick to the Bible and scripture. But then when we quote these things, you have no answer for it. You just go back to the New Testament and these things that Paul said or other people. You're not dealing with these texts. Yeah, in regards of uh... The people of the Old Testament had an understanding about what was to come. I can quote here Isaiah 53. It is very clear. It says, "I'm surely it's he very took clear. Up, it's not Jesus. Our, our okay. It surely he took up up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced." For our transgression. But you're, oh, Tangelo, you're reading here. Isaiah 53 no, when, no, because I'm responding. We've let you go on long enough. Actually, I'm going to pull the plug on you at this point because we've let you go on for long enough. You say that God cannot forgive without sacrifice. He can't do this. It's unjust if he doesn't forgive without sacrifice. And you say you want to appeal to scripture, which is not, you're not really presenting a rational point of view. You're just appealing to scripture. Then when I appeal to biblical texts, now you're going into the Old Testament and trying to bring up Isaiah 53, which is a hotly contested supposed prophecy of the Messiah who was not God in that text, who was not, who was supposed to actually have a lineage and all of these things that prove that it wasn't actually Jesus Christ, which the author himself says that it was Israel and other places. But the whole point is when I just read those two verses, you didn't actually say, okay, Jake, I hear what you're saying. And then respond to them. You just went to something totally different that had nothing to do with it. Jake, I responded in regards of that already. God, he was, yeah. he, he is not pleased in regards of sacrifices. He wants that people are just but that doesn't remove the need for sacrifices to punish sins. It does. It does. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He is expressing his desires. He is not expressing necessity. He's talking about his own mercy. If his mercy is better than sacrifice, why would he choose, if God is to do the most perfect action and require what is best, why would he want something that is less than what he desires? Why yeah, would he, he want can, a sacrifice if he yeah, desires he mercy? Is, God doesn't yeah. get what he desires? Yeah, he is merciful. He is graceful. And he, he can be that because there is a punishment for sins. So he can be just <laughs> and merciful at the same time. And before, I would just like to quote here um, Josiah 53, if you permit, and then I will um, uh, leave time for others to, to come in and interact. Is that okay? 
Uh, yeah, if he quickly. Okay, so yeah, quickly. So surely he took up, up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, <coughs> stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He has oppressed and afflicted. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. So I think this is very clear. And um, it is uh, uh, one of the most powerful prophecies which was fulfilled in the Messiah, which is Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think it's so obviously not Jesus Christ. Also considering the fact that there are what's uh, called other servant songs in Isaiah in chapter 42 and chapter 49, in which he explicitly states that the servant who is mentioned is Israel. But we're just going to throw that out the window, even though he just said it three chapters earlier. It has nothing to do with it. So anyway, appreciate you coming on, but we're going to have to move on to the next person here. Yes, thank you very much thank for having you. me on your show. Yeah, I appreciate it, and uh, have a good uh, good evening. Bye, guys. Thank you. You too. Take care. Jake, okay, there's a super chat. Next? Okay, Jake, there's a super yeah. chat. Yeah. Neil Castro. Jake, that means that the whole idea of Jesus becoming a sacrifice is completely a failed idea based on the ver that verse of the book of prophet Isaiah. Um, well, I, re I think you might be confused with the one I was reading mm. from Hosea. Uh, Hosea was the one I read, but yeah. So thank you for the super chat, Neil. Um, oh, we've got John Fisher 2.0 here. Hey, Jake, how was your time in Morocco? It was good, thank you. Oh, not too bad, uh, glad to hear. So, uh, yeah, uh, soteriology is the topic of discussion? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so as you know, I don't take the line that the sacrifice is strictly necessary. I do think that God could forgive if he wanted to, or, you know, just take on a different means of doing it. But um, I do want to say one thing, though. I do think that you could still make a, a probabilistic claim or a claim that the sacrifice that God does undergo with the crucifixion is a more fitting one. And uh, basically, that's pretty much why I came here to run that. So if you guys want to go down that path, that's all good. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah, and also um, what your theory of atonement is would be nice. Okay, so the theory of atonement that I take is, um, so it's the moral governance view, um, but I take a, a line where it's more centered around the kingship of Christ. So uh, basically the idea is that God forms covenants with his people, 
and these covenants are done by means of having some kind of central sign of the covenants. So the central sign in the Old Testament was circumcision. That's how you entered into the people. Uh, in the New Covenant, that is through baptism. And of course, you have the other sacraments as well. Um, in the Old Covenant, you had other sacraments or rites. So basically, animal sacrifices in the temple were one sort of uh, sacraments. You also had marriages as well. In the New Covenant, you have marriages, you have other things. But they all. But the difference between the first and the second is, in the first, they're forensic. That means that they only work by the means of God not punishing people for sins. So it would be a sort of forgiveness that would be exacted by God withholding punishment or retribution. In the New Testament, the sin is actually cleansed from you by means of his grace given through the sacraments by means of the atonements. So going, so uh, that's how it's done. Uh, the sacrifice done at Calvary, its main purpose is as a sign of two things. The first is it shows God's uh, hatred of sin in providing a just punishment uh, to Jesus Christ. And Christ is worthy of taking on this punishment because he takes on the office of uh, king of all of humanity and the king and the head of the church. And the same way a king can be punished for the crime of a nation, so too can Christ, by voluntarily taking up that position, be punished on our behalf as well. And this would be a second office that he takes in addition to being the moral governor of the universe as God himself. And by doing so, um, uh, God in his, God in inflicting this form of uh, punishment uh, removes the sin of everyone who has binded themselves onto Christ by their baptism and through participating in the sacraments themselves. And that's what makes this um, a fitting uh, form of punishment. Uh, for one's sins. So our understanding is God does this because of its fittingness, because on the one hand, he gets to exercise the virtue of mercy by means of uh, providing an alternative form of, of punishment for the person to undergo rather than hellfire. But on the other hand, it's done in proportion to the crime um, because the head of the church or of the nation is punished instead of the members. So um, so you get both virtues actually shown, um, and also you bind yourself to the church, you have a visible way of showing that you are part of this community, and uh, you also get God's grace as well. And it's also, and it's fitting for two reasons. One, it shows God's uh, hatred of sin in a visual way uh, through the crucifixion. And the second reason is because God gets to suffer on behalf of his, his people. This is considered to be the highest thing someone who exhibits the virtue of being a king can actually do. Um, so in the Islamic tradition, God is considered um, to be king. That's one of his 99 names, Al-Malik, I, I believe. And in the Christian religion, God is also considered the king as well. Um, in fact, if you look at other kings, I believe Cromwell II was beheaded um, because of the fact that he wanted to keep his title, his monarchy, and so did the people of England. And the and Cromwell executed him because he considered Cromwell considered his role as king to be something of divine decree. He thought it was not just a civil thing, it was also a religious thing. 
And it was not just considered to be an act of fidelity to his people. It was also considered to be an act of martyrdom as well, fulfilling God's will. And, uh, and can I ask a question of how, yeah. how you, so, sure. so you're, when you, when, you, when you're saying the king can be like, uh, can take on a punishment, right? Yeah. Um, what's, what's the, what's the justification behind that, right? Yeah, so God, yeah, so vicarious punishment is something God can exact in both religions. I'll appeal to the Islamic text. So in the Quran, for example, God can actually request of Abraham to give up his son, um, what, I don't know, Isaac, it's some, I think the minority say Isaac, but the majority is uh, Ishmael. He asks of, of Abraham to give up his son. Now, if God can ask of that on behalf of somebody else who, who himself has no sin, Afortiori, I don't know why he couldn't ask the guilty to hand over a king, uh, for example. So, like that could just appeal to special revelation there. But just I, I don't under, I don't understand the the link. Uh, so 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 was, God asked. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you could if you could elaborate on that, I don't, yeah, I don't sure. understand. So, so is right. So God asked Abraham to give up his son Isaac uh, for death, right? In the Quran. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Was God just? Was God being unjust in doing that? Um, no, no, he wasn't. Could Abraham have refused it's God? It's my, it's my, thank you. Yeah. Could God have? Could Abraham have said, um, "Sorry, God, that is beyond what you can ask of me. You can't ask me to turn over an innocent person to you." But no. He, yeah, he wouldn't. Yeah. So if God can ask, uh, if God can ask Abraham to turn over his son, I don't ask. I, I'm not sure why God could not ask, you know, entire people to hand over their king uh, for the sake of punishments. But why? What, what's wrong? With, I'm not. I mean, what's? Where is the analogy? Like, there's no punishment in the in the, in the case of Adam. Uh, sorry, in the case of uh, Ibrahim and Ismail, oh, alayhi salam. So. Oh, oh, it's from. Oh, it's an argument. Uh, it's I think in mine it's called an argumentum ad. Uh, yeah, an argumentum a fortiori. So from the greater yeah. thesis. So if God can ask Abraham to turn over an innocent person uh, for death, a fortiori, he can ask a guilty people to turn over an innocent uh, person for death, even if it is for the case of punishments. It, it basically, by justifying the stronger claim, I have justified the weaker claim. No, but there's no punishment in the case of Ismail. He's not being punished for anything. I mean, God, God takes everybody's life. I mean, there's no, there's in 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 the case of Prophet Ismail salam, he's not being punished for anything. And Prophet Ibrahim killing him, if it did happen, would be mm -hmm. uh, by virtue of uh, Ibrahim salam's knowledge, absolute knowledge of, um, you know, the revelation that came to him from Allah. So there's no difference between Allah taking the life of a person and commanding a person and a prophet in this case mm -hmm. uh, to do that that's why I, I just don't see how that can link to uh, uh, um, the whole how, how you can make the jump from that to uh, justifying the punishment of an innocent king on behalf of his people all right um so right so here's my question then why i'm still a bit confused actually about <clears throat> the governmental theory in general um, all right. Uh, all right. Uh, I'll, uh, just let me address Abdul's thing first, and Jake will get to your point second. All right. So the first. All right. So um, so Abdul, uh, the question I would have to ask you is, why can God ask an innocent person to turn over their life, or an innocent person to turn over the life of somebody else? 
because all all life belongs to God. We don't okay. think death does is a Christ, punishment. Right? right? Does Christ's yeah. life belong to God? Um. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So you can request of it. I don't really see any. Yeah, but, but I don't. I don't. Okay. So maybe you're. Maybe I didn't hear the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But then that's I'm, I'm right. that God, Christ's life doesn't belong to God, and God can't take Christ's life. Wait, I mean, it's just, wait, wait. So wait. The, the question is whether whether uh, substitutionary atonement makes sense in the sense oh. that does it really uh, think... you know render us uh, hmm. um, you know pure, and does it really do do does it really do justice in the case of you know uh, uh, wiping away our sins and and and. Uh, you know, retributing us for 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 whatever sins we committed. Well, that's why I'm trying to. I want to get clear on mm -hmm. the the theory because I don't think it actually says that. I don't um, think it's substitutionary in that way. Yeah, I mean, it's substitutionary in the sense that uh, Christ takes on a punishment um, on behalf of the whole covenant, on behalf of the whole people. So it's sub. So basically, I as an individual. Um, yeah, but I'm I guess you should. I yeah, guess so. you should explain the difference right. between governmental and penal substitution because yeah. there's all right. So governmental difference. Yeah, governmental views hold that Christ dies um, for a collective or for an institution or a nation because a nation is more than just the sum total of each individual member. It's considered to be its own sort of entity. God punishes entire nations, for example. Um, so for so just as an instance, when God punished Egypt. It didn't mean children or the innocent were spared. Or when God punished evil people with Noah by sending a flood, children were not spared. They were also taken up and killed in that punishment for the sins of their parents. So those yeah, but but wouldn't so, the, uh, penal substitution say the same thing? I don't. Yeah, understand yeah, the difference. No, so the different right. So the difference is when God punishes a nation, He doesn't just punish the offenders, the people who committed the crimes. He punishes the entirety of the nation, whether it's the individuals or their children or even those who might not have committed any crime themselves personally, but have just or would have just been among them. So so that would be the main difference there. It's, yeah, I don't see the difference because in penal substitution, the, the underlying a presupposition is that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God anyway. So it's. It amounts to the same thing. I don't really see the a difference. Di the difference is the effects are only given to people who are a member of the nation themselves. If you don't have Christ as your king, you do not get the benefits of the sacrifice. So, for example, I don't understand how if penal substitution is true on that model, why, you know, and Christ dies for the world, that everyone isn't just forgiven their sins. I understand it on this model because it only extends to the covenant, those who are tied into his life, death, and resurrection. Because well, it's conditional upon the acceptance. That's what most people are going to say. Yeah, it's conditional upon the acceptance, but the acceptance brings you into the covenant itself. So Calvinists also bring up the issue of if Christ dies once for you and you apostatize and you come back in, it seems like he has to die twice. It's like a sort of double jeopardy, but... My understanding is Christ only dies for the church. Whether or not you are a member of the church is a different issue. When we say Christ dies for the church, we're saying that he's dying for an institution or a covenant. And whether or not you are a member of it is tied into whether or not you participate in the rites of the church. So baptism, uh, uh, so baptism, confirmation, um, all, the, all the sacraments. 
basically are ways of participating in God's grace in this church. And you get those graces by, uh, by first the baptism, and then the others usually tend to follow from there. And those sacraments bind you to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ himself on the cross. And the reason why, and the reason why kings can often take the place of their people is because they're their head, they're their leader, and when they accept the office, they also accept those various responsibilities, punishments, and and so forth. You're tied in very heavily to the to the person. Otherwise, uh, the monarchy just becomes a sort of despotism. And I don't really consider. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is often when God punishes nations, He doesn't just punish the people who do who commit the crimes. Children are often punished as well, um, as well as others. There, I don't like. I not. I'm not. I mean, we well. don't. We don't believe that in the sense that like the children aren't being punished in in, so, in, in that sense. But I mean, in, in the flood of Noah, were ki- were there no children killed? But I mean, I don't, saying, I don't know. But uh, wait, are you so, saying yeah, what? No, I think I think I think a fair reading would say that even children suffered the. No, no. Uh, what I'm saying is, I don't know to the specific question. I'm not saying that no, no children. I mean, so children die. I, yeah. I'm just saying that I in wouldn't see that as necessarily a punishment for say yeah like like per se uh, like the like the, the the event itself was a punishment however there I, could be individuals who you know happen to be uh, uh, um, you know victims of the same event that aren't necessarily could punished by that in the sense that they are liable for the crime mm-hmm. but uh because everybody's gonna die anyway so it could have been a flood the, the person could have died like drowning or something without it necessarily being a punishment. So although I'm just confused. I don't I'm confused by that response because I don't see how uh, two people can suffer from the same thing, namely a flood, and it be a punishment for one person and not be a punishment for another person. Even well from the Islamic paradigm that's what it works perfectly because the idea why, is why, why? I don't see it. I don't, I don't, so I don't, so so both of you so, let, so let both me, of us can drown. Both of us can die drowning in, in the sea, right? Right. Yeah. And and one of it can be considered as in, in one instance, it, you, you, you could conceive of it being a punishment mm. from God uh, for something you did or whatever. Right. Uh, well, so. I drown in the same sea. It's not necessarily a punishment. <laughs> That's the point. So it's the same thing. It's, the, it's like the same. It's, it's God's creation and and it's God allowing both things to happen. I just don't see why it has to be a. Uh, uh, the same like you have to attach to it the same kind of like purpose it doesn't have to be like that so if i'm understanding this properly a couple of things one in the first instance if me and you are out in sea and god destroys the boat as punishment for sin and he has the power to save me but doesn't and i don't commit any sin of my own but it still warrants the taking of my own life I, the, the, I, I I think I'm the unfortunate victim here, rather than your, your life is going to be taken anyway. The point is yeah, that as a the point for sin, like everyone else, that's how original sin. That's works what you, that's that's the presupposition. That's your that's the presupposition. You don't you no, just don't, no, don't, don't. I'm, I'm, Yeah, it's a presupposition I have to make sense of it. I don't understand how everyone's life can be taken from them without sin in Islam because Islam lacks original sin. So I'm not sure how you can. So well, yeah, why, but the, why to say that you have to assume that death is a punishment, we yeah. don't we don't see death it, as a punishment. It, if it's not a, then I don't really understand how you can give me that scenario where God kills a, a guilty person, 
kills an innocent person, it's a punishment for the guilty person, but not a punishment for an innocent person. So okay, so, so okay, okay. So so let's let's so for example, in Islam, there's there's um, there's the idea of a kafara or something that's like a penance for that okay. your your um something that elevates the Muslim, like a, 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 let's say an illness you go through that elevates you in ranks, right? Mm -hmm. We wouldn't say that's a punishment. Say okay. it's it has a purpose, and you 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 through pa patience and perseverance and stuff like that, you pass pass the test, and it elevates you in ranks. Well, but that same illness to a wicked person mm -hmm. can be a punishment. I mean, what's it's the same it's the same thing, but you can conceive of them having different purposes. I don't see what's wrong with that. Okay, so 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 it's like a pandemic, it like a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Pandemic's going to affect good and bad people right. but we would say for the good person it affects it affects him in a way which wipes away his sins mm -hmm. raises his rank he mm -hmm. demonstrates the courage and the patience and perseverance so he shows soul building characteristics mm -hmm. but for the bad person it's a punishment yeah what what okay but what soul building characteristics can you give to an infant who dies there is no soul building no that's not yeah no but john i think you're no, 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 I'm just tying analogy, it back man. into the it's it's analogy. analogy. I'm just tying it into the first one, and even and also to the drowning analogy because because again, no, no, no. So let no, me no. give you what, what, what I was saying was that death, John, death. Yes. We were not assuming death is a punishment, and I was just okay. giving you. And you're saying, well, how can this one event mm. that you call a punishment, mm -hmm. uh, you know, cause the death of 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 certain people? without it being a punishment for them. And I was just, and so what I'm doing is I'm giving you an analogy to so you, show you that uh, the same thing can be used for two different purposes. In a similar way, death. Mm -hmm. So, so, so when, when, when the people, when the people who, a lot of those uh, people of the past who sinned and they were destroyed or whatever, if, if they didn't sin, it's not like they weren't going to die. That's, that's not, mm -hmm. the, that's not the Islamic point of view. The point isn't that, oh, you sinned. Therefore, you're going to die. It's like the, the way you die and what's waiting for you after death. I mean, uh, the, the, the point here is that what, what you want to say is that, well, the concept of death in and of itself is, uh, you, you know, can only be made sense of in light of it being a punishment. I don't, I don't see why that has to be the case. So you're just, We're just moving hmm. from one world to another. Yeah, it's, it's like somebody who's, who's martyred. It's not. Why would I yeah. see it as a punishment? I mean, if, I mean, if I kill your child, it's and I tell you, well, he's just going from one world to another. I think you would take a lot of umbrage with that sort of perspective. Like death has this very heavy sting. It's called the last of the enemies for a reason in our religion. But even so, but, you you equate you equate the murdering of a child with God causing the death of children. That's the, so you see those two as the same thing. What I'm saying is, death isn't something to take lightly. That, no, and, I'm not taking it lightly. I'm it, just, it, I'm just it saying. Like you guys were sorry. Uh, no, so, 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 somebody murdering a baby yeah, versus God not. causing the death of a baby. Do, mm -hmm. do you see those two this as the same thing? Because clearly, if someone no, kills God my child, it. yeah. But then, but then, do I see God taking the life of a child in the same way I see a person killing a child? God has a right to take away, from my perspective or paradigm. And I know that we're paradigm shifting. I, I get it. But on my paradigm, God has a right to take the life of everyone because it is a, precisely a punishment. But I don't understand what it precisely means. Precisely because it's what? Sorry, I didn't It's hear considered that. a punishment. 
precisely death is considered a punishment visited upon humanity. So if so, so if, so if, if humanity on, hold on, hold on, was sinless, hold on, hold on. I, I I understand God taking away having the power to take away human life on that regard, regardless of the age. But not but any individual person doesn't have that right to take away the life of my child because that is not a his life. And yeah. B, that is also, an, and B, he, my child has done nothing of, as a transgression against any other person, um, and and thus they don't have that right. Okay, so now, if humanity, if humanity was sinless, God mm -hmm. wouldn't have the right to take away anybody's life. No, death would not even be in the world if human beings didn't sin. It just wouldn't exist. No, no, no. Whether or not is not my question. My question is: assume a state of affairs where mm -hmm. humanity is sinless. Or only angels existed. Okay. Would God have the right to take away their lives? Uh, would God have the right to take? Oh, would God have a right to take away the life of like an angel or yeah, yeah, or a soul? Uh, no, because existence is no. I would say not existence. So God cannot kill angels. God can does not have the right to, you know, just you know, just eliminate the existence of angels. I mean, why doesn't he just eliminate the existence of Satan or any other evil spirit? I'm not asking so, why hold, he hold, wouldn't. Hold, hold, I'm asking hold, hold, whether hold, you hold. think he has the right no, to. No, hold, hold, hold on. Let me just explain. Well, the reason I bring up that, uh, the reason I bring that up as just one example is it may, is on my understanding. It makes sense why God wouldn't take away the life, or even why he wouldn't just annihilate souls in hell. It's because every soul that exists is at base existence and existence and goodness and truth are all what are called transcendentals and all of those things are considered to be goods onto themselves and god doesn't create things without a purpose everything that god brings into existence god sustains and maintains in existence and that includes angels and human souls and anything else which is essentially immortal and because that's the but case, in that sense, you're just does, saying that doesn't and, and exist. Hold, 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 hold. And because you, you're just saying that doesn't exist, because you're saying that so the, on, the, the, on, the souls on, that on, are on, in on. hell, for example, he can't, yeah. he's not going to kill them, but they're sinful. Yeah, he punishes them forever. Yeah, so and, and, so, and so death is irrelevant be, here. And and persons are yeah, and persons are souls. So death is irrelevant. No, it's yeah, not death is no because the loss okay, but of then you see you see that you see that the. You see that an implication or the consequence of your position is that God literally cannot take away the life of angels. He he can't do that. He's he cannot. Right? When he brings them into existence, he he, he cannot take he, okay. So yeah, just, once just God like brings he, creatures like, into existence, he cannot take them out of existence. Yeah, just like he can't violate the laws of logic or but or so it's not there's no contradiction. Lies. There's no contradiction with like that's all a lie. No, no, no. There's no contradiction. There's no con. Yeah. So what you want to say is it's metaphysically impossible because it yes. contradicts his nature. So what you want to say mm -hmm. is that God yeah, taking something out of ex taking an agent out of existence is taking immoral. Something which is some taking something which is essentially immortal out of existence is immoral. Yes. Why? Why? Oh, he because... created it. It's his. Oh, it's quite simple. It's because it's because existence is considered to be one of the three transcendentals, along with goodness and truth. And for God to eliminate something like a soul or an angel, which is essentially existent, is the same thing as him eliminating something which is which is good or which has or which is true. It's just something that God does not do at that level. Uh, the, something which is considered pure form 
is by nature immortal and by and god doesn't violate something's essence like that okay so i mean so you're just adding layers to the theory that just making it seem much and much more implausible but then so what so what you're saying is that you know the the the, the these these uh, these souls or or or, or whatever it is you want to call it are well, uh, by nature okay uh, by... could so just to ask you a question to maybe elucidate this could god tell you a lie no. Now, I'm not saying, could God let you fall under deception? Can God tell you a lie? No, no, no. Okay, yeah. And is there a contradiction with someone telling you a lie? No, but you see, I already, yeah. see, I already granted that. I already said it. you mm. don't have to give me a contradiction, but it just seems very counterintuitive. The idea, what you're saying is that, well, telling a lie, yeah. clearly that seems immoral, right? But what you're saying is that God mm -hmm. cannot take a being that he brought into existence out of existence, a being that he owns. I'm not telling you torturing him for no reason or whatever. I'm just saying, mm -hmm. taking a being that he brought into existence, out of existence, on your view, that's immoral. I don't see that on so the same, any, any, on any the same being, way. I see a any, lie. Because it's a, Rahman, because yeah, it's a just sorry, really quickly, John. I just want to understand. You're saying that anything that God creates, he cannot remove yeah, from existence. Yeah, con like, let's say, say conscious being. Like, like, let's say, I, so I said an angel. So a sinless mm -hmm. uh, Is it just uh, a conscious being? being? John, because you're, you said that existence is one of the transcendental positions. So that's what I'm trying to understand. Is it yeah. all existence, yeah. a rock? No. Uh, so, so what does God make in his image? He makes in Genesis men in his image, and he makes angels in his image. Let us make man into our own image. That's what Revelation tells us is in his image. And for God to destroy something in his own image would be, um, in essence, to go against who he is. What does his that image has a reflection mean, if you don't mind explaining? What, is, what does it mean? Like the it way you usually, understand it. Oh, it means basically... So the rational soul of a man and of angels is considered to be a reflection of God himself, which it, who himself is basically the source of all reason, truth, etc. So basically our ability to reason about the world, to uh, have knowledge of things, anything like particulars or universals, that's something only angels and human beings have, not any lower animals. And hence, for God to destroy that would be essentially, or bring it totally out of existence, would hence be to attack his own very image. So he doesn't do that. That's why I... How is it attacking his image? He can just create new images. I mean, uh, no, uh, you see... Is, the... is, is, his image is, is eternal, immortal. It's something... No, no, no yeah, I get that. I'm talking about good. the creation. No, no, yeah, I'm talking about the creation, the reflection. So you're saying the reflections of his image, so he cannot take it out of existence. Well, he, well, it didn't exist before he brought it into existence. So well, then, well, that, that that's not a, a, a perfect mirror of his image because he was never out of existence. These mirrors were out of existence, so he could just bring new uh, creations into existence that mirror his qualities. I just don't see. It, it's just presupposition after presupposition the, the at this point. Well, revelation, forgive the me, image but I think we're going exists. slightly off topic um, on this particular issue. Yeah, we've uh, gone way out of the what the topic is. Right. Yeah, we can sort of reel it back into right. the original right. discussion. Yeah, I'm still so, confused uh, about how governmental theory, as you're uh, conceiving it, is distinguished between substitutionary atonement. I from my reading i just want to read you something here mm -hmm. uh this is just on wikipedia to see if you agree with it or not it says governmental theory cannot incorporate into itself the main elements of two major theories a the satisfaction theory of atonement 
and a penal substitutionary theory of atonement. However, it can incorporate different understandings promoted in the other two atonement theories. It incorporates notably <clears throat> Peter Forsyth's, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it Maybe Fortescue? Not sure. Uh, anyway, his emphasis on how the holiness of God figures in the atonement. It incorporates uh, it incorporates an emphasis on Christ's ransoming humans as the classical ransom theory uh, uh, of, of atonement. It incorporates the emphasis on God's love, which is the main point uh, and going on and on here. Then it says the governmental view is similar to the satisfaction view and the penal substitution view in that all three views see Christ as satisfying God's requirement for the punishment of sin. However, the governmental view disagrees with the other two in that it does not affirm that Christ endured the precise punishment that sin deserves or paid its actual uh, or paid its sacrificial equivalent. Instead, Christ's suffering was simply an alternative to that punishment. Do you yeah, agree with that? I agree. It was an alternative to the punishment because the punishment of your king or monarch is a different sort of punishment than the punishment you yourself would undertake in hell. Um, yeah, the but the difference is that your punishment in hell is quantitative in that it is eternal and ongoing and without end, whereas because of Christ's uh, qualitative nature as being both God and man and as being sinless, um, it was, and of course, being our perfect head of government, it is a, a different sort of punishment altogether. Yeah, but then it also says here, in contrast, penal substitution holds that Christ endured the exact punishment or the exact worth of of punishment that sin deserved. So do you think that the exact the, the punishment on your view that Christ uh, endured was worth the punishment of our, all of our sins? Yeah, I would say so. I don't think that uh, so then, penal substitution uh, is, is actually... Yeah, I don't think penal substitution is fully um, separate from the moral governance angle. My only point was it's just... Well, well, then that's what I'm saying, and you yeah. don't agree with the characterization of this. I know it's only Wikipedia, but right. I'm really struggling to see what the difference is. Maybe it's the, just my right. inadequacy. I think that the main difference here is it stem... Well, at least the main difference here and why I characterize it as a moral governance view is because it stems from God as moral governor of the universe and from his place as being the head of the church and hence uh, our king or prince. It stems from... Yeah, but substitutionary atonement uh, proponents would agree with all of that. It just seems like you're just emphasizing different language, but they would be on board with that language anyway. So I don't really board, understand on, I mean, if they're on board, they're on board. But I think this is more of an argument of taximony than whether or not it holds true. Oh, I'm not well, arguing whether or not it holds true. I'm, I'm still okay. trying to understand what it even means. Okay. It, yeah. it basically means in, that... in distinction between that this and the penal substitution view. I'm not okay, arguing so pen... that it's so, false so penal I don't substi... understand it. So penal substitutionary atonement theorists would probably want to more argue that A, it was necessary, and B, it was something which is rooted in the sacrificial system of the Old Covenant. My argument is it's more so rooted in his status as the head of our covenant and our church, and B, it wasn't strictly necessary, but it was, but it was um, something God instituted because it was fitting and because it was worthwhile to go through. 
and worthwhile for a punishment for the church to undertake before coming into um, God's mercy and uh, and uh, our repentance. That's the main difference. It, if it's one of emphasis, it's one of emphasis. And if you want to say it's penal substitutionary, then it's penal substitutionary. But that's not. I'm not really here, uh, or I'm not really too concerned with the taximony of it. Yeah, I am only because I'm more uh, familiar with penal substitutionary atonement. And if I don't know the relevant difference, then it's I'm not going to be able to really offer a meaningful criticism. Okay, so it. So well, I mean, it's fine, but right, I would just any, be critiquing the okay, general any, idea of substitutionary atonement. Right, so, so do you think any of your critiques of, substitution, of substitutionary atonement would hold up? Yeah, the same idea that I've been saying the whole entire time, that an innocent person dying for the sins of all the guilty, to me, is an unjust. Is it? All right. How? All right, so a couple of things. One, so I guess I would just want to go, and this is where the whole flood of Noah came in. It's because we know that there are instances where innocent people die out of the fact that God gives retribution to entire nations. We know that's the case in the Old Testament. We know it's the case, at, at least that's how it comes across in some narratives that the Quran takes up from the Bible. I just don't understand what it means to say that, oh, yeah, you know, they were just caught in the crossfire. Despite the fact that God is powerful enough to let innocent people go, but I don't understand why God can't allow an innocent person to suffer because of the evils of the guilty. That I don't understand how that can follow. I also don't. He can. He can. He can. He can allow that to happen, as clearly you're saying it does uh, in natural disasters or what you're talking about with Noah. But those people that are dying, those innocent people that are dying, like the baby, the equivalent in that situation would be that the baby dying because he's innocent, therefore somehow it accounts for those evil parents that he had and the sins that they did. That's the equivalent in the story, which is not present in any Islamic story or the flood of Noah or anything else you can bring up. Yeah, I mean, it works on the Christian paradigm because, again, all are guilty and all suffer death as a consequence of the mistakes of our parents. But again, this is why it doesn't really make sense to me on the Islamic paradigm, because death seems really bad, no matter who you ask, no matter how you characterize it. It's something that when a child undergoes it, despite their pure innocence, I don't understand why, what benefit well, we could have to anybody there. I like, it just doesn't really work out for me. I, yeah, I, 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 real quick, I don't want, I don't want to go off on another tangent. I just want to say real quick. The, the, the problem is, cause I think your, your rationale for why, you know, God can't like uh, kill or, 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 or basically remove the existence of something that is sinless or something that he created in his image. It, it almost seems like what you're saying is that, well, it can't vanish out of existence, but that doesn't seem to be what death is. So, yeah. so, so think, think of think of a sinless human, right? Mm -hmm. And their soul just moving from this life to the next. Given the rationale you're providing in mm -hmm. the fact that they're created in God's image and they can't just cease to exist, they haven't ceased to exist. They just have moved on. It looks bad for us that they're dying. Death seems bad. How do you know it's bad? From actually, like as a theist, I don't think you should. Like just as a theist, without your Christian uh, uh, presuppositions coming coming mm -hmm. into the picture, I don't see how, why you should see death as uh, as necessarily bad. Just depends on where you're going, but it's just moving from one place to another. 
so you don't cease to exist so the whole rational ground you have for god not being able to take something out of existence that is in his image is even preserved on the muslim conception because he just moved from one realm to another you're not yeah i mean what about people like, that I, I don't even think, but i don't no. even think muslims hold to that like you know you're <clears throat> confessing to that but i i've experienced people losing their children to dis, to natural disasters and diseases they are they are people who really bemoan the loss of their children they don't just see it as their kid teleporting from one place to another they cry, they wail, they take days to recover. It, yeah, it's a pretty hard emotional. thing. Yeah. Not, yeah, there's, nobody's yeah. denying that, but what about people who actually want to die like Christian martyrs? What about them? You're, you're saying that it's a bad thing. Well, if it's so bad, why are there people who throughout church history actually wanted to die and be a martyr? The reason, no, the reason martyrship is done is, as you said earlier, it's a form of soul building. It's also a way of testifying to the truth of the religion. But then the death in and of itself is not bad. Death so and, can I, real quickly, death, there's death, a... Death, if we're go death, can, sorry, do you hear death me? In and, oh, I hear you. I just want to just make a quick point. Before oh, I wanted to, real quickly, because you've, you, you, with the Islamic and Christian paradigms, there's two things I want to bring up. One, it said it is, it is not the Christian paradigm. You're a Catholic, I assume by the uh, iconetry around you, but uh, the Orthodox would disagree with you um, about the original sin. Second, uh, uh, about the Islamic they, paradigm. No. Second, about the Islamic paradigm, uh, that you're speaking about, it's, you know, it's very uh, clear that death is a creation, you know, the one who created death. Death is a creation, it's makhluk, it's not non-existence. So you are misrepresenting uh, Islam in that vein too. I'm just going to throw that out there. There are other things that I could pull out of where you were, you know, kind of uh, shaky on your logic and inconsistent, mm -hmm. but that's for another time. Okay, a couple things. One, most of the uh, most of the attempts by most modern Orthodox about original sin that comes from terrible 18th, 19th century Russian Orthodox theology. It, it's not actually what you find when you look at much older stuff. Secondly. Um, most of the stuff I'm just regaling here is from is what I'm hearing. I just don't think it really works out with how human beings understand it in terms of their own psychology. Third of all, relating to the martyrs, yeah, sometimes yeah, Christians are called to undergo evils for the sake of bringing about some greater good, like the testimony of the church, for example. That I have no problem in understanding. What I do have a problem in understanding is why someone who is completely innocent does not sin at all why would God just want to take their life in and of itself when he is powerful enough to prevent it? And when they, you know, commit no sins against anyone else, I understand that. In so terms of you have, Christianity, yeah, so Zachary, said, uh, Zachary uh, mentioned, yes, and, and, and I understand that in terms of Christianity, because so, I understand so let me, that. All, uh, yeah. So John, let me, let yeah, me but just the read difference what, is, what, is the, the difference between that. Hold on. The difference mm -hmm. between that, the fundamental difference between that and the theory that you're proposing is that the death of the innocent person is somehow accounting for the sins of the other people in an eternal state. It has mm -hmm. nothing to do. You're talking about, oh, somebody being an innocent bystander that died in a hurricane because these other people were were killing their children or doing bad things. That's not the same as an innocent person dying in order to restore that person in right standing with God for eternity. Those are two totally different things. Yeah. 
the yeah yeah i agree they are two different things the difference between jesus christ is when he takes his place as the head of our church and our monarch that's a very intimate role similar to a husband or a wife if um if i get married and she has a substantive amount of debt i can pay it back i can take it on to myself i could even help her deal with that because we have a closer bond and there's considered some sort of and we understand by virtue of law that uh, two people can share it likewise i don't understand why a king couldn't take on a role where he knows that a certain people are responsible for a sin or sins on a national level and in ta voluntarily taking on that position or that office he has to pay back the debt of the entire nation if jesus christ wants to he can come incarnate take on that role and pay it back there the difference at least on paid to who he's paying himself yeah i mean so oh that's <laughs> oh are you doing that whole oh god kills himself to pay back himself well he's paying man. himself unless you want to say he's paying the devil oh simple there are two oh there are two offices god takes on has the office by nature of moral governor of the universe but he also takes on a secondary or additional office as being the head of the church uh, in the same way, you can. In the same way, we also have the nation of Canada. It has a specific debt to Great Britain, but the head of state there, the one in Canada who pays back the, the debt to the head of state in Great Britain, is the Queen of Canada paying back the debt to the Queen of Great Britain. It, in legal matters, this can happen. God can take on two offices, bear two responsibilities, and those responsibilities can be shared between the two offices. I really have no issue with. Yeah, to oh, me, it does make what you just said is not analogous to God paying the debt to himself. It's not the same and, thing. Uh, I mean, I had a state paying the debt back to themselves in virtue of two distinct offices. I don't see an issue. No, John Fisher, hold on, hold on. Uh, John Fisher, mm. Canada, although it may be part of quote unquote the Commonwealth, yeah, mm. and it has a, uh, how do you say, a symbolic head being the, uh, the Queen yeah, of England, yeah, or Queen so of she's Britain. She's the head of state. Yeah, symbolic head. It's we know still... Canada. We know Canada is in origin a separate state with a separate set of laws, <laughs> exactly. a separate set of legislator. Yeah. And in reality, mm -hmm. Canada and Britain operate as two separate states. Yeah, mm -hmm. they don't operate as though they're one state. You know, this is the analogy entire... would be the analogy would be is I owe a debt to myself, so I decide to take that payment and pay myself as though I paid and as though I fulfilled <laughs> a debt. That's, that, that's yeah, the analogy. It's not analogous. The analogy no. is not Canada and Britain. Yeah. And the fact that they share a head of state called the queen. Yeah. As though the queen and Canada and Britain are actually one nation, really. They're not one nation. That's not that's, how it works. That's, that is virtually what my argument, my analogy relies on the fact that they are not one nation, just like how, the church is not the same thing as God. So it's not Canada it's not the same paying thing itself. As creation. Yeah, it's yeah, not it's the not head Canada of state paying, paying the head of state, the same head of state. It's not that. Because Canada and Britain are two separate states. They're seen as separate states in the United Nations. Mm -hmm. They operate with separate set of laws. British law is not the same as Canada law. You can't mm -hmm. analogize between the two. And it is a bit frustrating, uh, John, because, you know, I'll, you know, you're a nice guy and stuff, but you, mm. you give these analogies which just don't make sense. And right. you sort of give them as though, you know, they're sort of, you know, as though they're obvious. And they're not obvious. And when mm. you dig deeper, I don't think they really make that much sense. Mm. Like, for example, you turn around and say, well, you know, it makes sense under Christianity why 
little babies are killed because they bear the sins of their fathers. Yeah, and that just, that doesn't make any sense to me. It makes more sense that God created life and death to try people. And sometimes babies die in order to try their parents. And sometimes they are prevent, they're killed or that, you know, God takes their life because he has sovereignty to do so in order to save them for something worse in the future, which may have been mm. the sins that they may have committed. Whatever it is, God's knowledge knows these things. Yeah, mm. that makes more sense. Than to say, yeah, God's punishing this little baby, uh, you know, this, you know, this in inception within the uh, mother's womb because it's actually sinful. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, th that this doesn't really make much sense to me. Sorry. Yeah. Bit yeah, of a rant. No worries. Hey, I mean, I don't. I mean, it doesn't really make sense to me how God can kill sinners, kill their children, say that it can be soul building to children, even though they're they're dead, or to their parents, they're dead. Um, that doesn't make no. Sense I didn't to say me. it's no, all, but uh, I gave the analogy. Me, John. Me, Please don't uh, throw so, the straw so man the analogy. analogy. The straw man analogy. The analogy was this. <laughs> the analogy was this. Was about the pandemic. How a pandemic, an illness, can be for one set of people a punishment, and for another set of people it could be a, a soul building, could be a test, it could elevate. I gave all of these things. I didn't just say soul, but I said it could elevate, remove their sins. You know, it could. Uh, grant them greater position within God. Uh, all of these things, yeah. So you know, please don't anal don't use what I said as a way to directly analogize based upon Noah's flood. That wasn't the argument. The argument was: can one mm. event be applied as a punishment for one group of people and yet not a punishment for another group of people? That was the argument that was being brought forward. Yeah. So the argument and. And I also I also included a few other elements there that were not addressed. Yes, uh, one event can be used as a punishment for one person, and it could also be used in a, to to bring about some other end for some other reason. I'm not denying that. What I'm saying is, does God have a right to kill the innocent? And I haven't really heard a good response there. You said and, that and he it, did with the old uh, Abraham and Ishmael uh, Isaac thing. That was your. That's what you came in with. You, that you admitted that at the very beginning. Yeah, that is something. So yeah, I admitted then, then that I don't on know Christian. Why hold on, hold on. Now, you're, you seem to be so backpedaling. Right, so a couple of things. One, in the Ishmael versus Isaac one, I used that in the understanding of the Quran. In the Quran, Ishmael is an innocent person. He doesn't even have original sin. At least the. But you and, called him medic. You used, you used the medic. He is king and he had the right. And there was no. no not, you used, are now. What? You're actually no, strongman yourself here. Which is no, interesting, use, but you know, it's really interesting. Is you're all over the place because I made it very. Clear I'm not all Islam, over the place. Yeah, I've yeah only you are because hold on, sentences. hold on. Is did I say on Christianity when Isaac was put and asked for his life, was he innocent? Was was he innocent, John? No, you no, don't believe he was innocent. No, exactly. Everyone has original sin here on Islam. Is is um is hot or Isaac or Ishmael? Is he innocent? Yeah, he's innocent. So I guess I see, I see that point, but but yes. then, but then, so That's so I, but I'd ask because you're talking about death. So are animals yeah. innocent? Are animals innocent? Yeah, animals die. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God, animals don't have rights. <laughs> what do you mean they don't have rights? They they're you, living beings. You, you, you said life itself was a, was was anything within the existence. Life, truth, yeah. and 
yeah, so why, yes. why is it that and I don't so if death if the concept of death doesn't make sense in the Islamic worldview for you because it's not a punishment for sin then how does the death of animals make sense do do human beings have rights what do you mean do yeah. human beings have rights in yeah, every everybody has rights everything has rights animal rights PETA I don't I don't <laughs> I don't think animals oh. have rights. So you don't think yeah. the problem of animal well, suffering yeah, you, is, a, is a problem? Yeah, because when you were no. talking no, before, you don't think it is. You were don't talking go animal. about he when a baby dies, how, how the people have rights. He doesn't. Yeah. I, I'm thinking he's implying that they don't. Is that what you're Person, saying? Persons have rights. Animals are not persons. I so, don't consider them okay. persons Yeah, but, but before you said, oh, well, I, I don't think that would be satisfying because when you know, my neighbor's baby dies, they're upset and they cry for days. But well, have you ever seen somebody whose dog died? I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah. they, they start crying like babies too. They, they're, yeah. oh my God, they, they want to bury him in the backyard. Oh, uh, poor Charlie died. I, I guess John, John Fisher just to sort of bring this, guys. I'll concede. Guys, one second, guys. Yeah, I'll agree. That's my point. Appealing to, you're appealing to that, but then when I appeal to you, oh, you wanted to say that. So it's just. Guys, I guess, John, John, if I can just, if we can just bring this back to, I guess it's like from my perspective, fine. So you can have your, your, your own like like perspective and paradigm but i guess like if, if we're gonna look at it like like as as two competing theories it, it seems like you have to make assumption after assumption i mean the the first of all i mean you the the idea that death has to be some kind of punishment that's i i don't see why i need to assume that i don't i don't see why i need to assume that at all Right. And and you have to make assumption after assumption about God not being able or it being immoral for God to take a being that he created out of existence, which is very counterintuitive. It also seems also seems like an added layer that you're adding to your theory. That's going to make it very implausible in comparison to the very simple theory that, you know, God created life and death. Humans are accountable for their own sins. And God punishes people and forgives people. I mean, that's that seems simple. Mm. For you to say that probabilistically, what you're putting forward here is a better deal, just overlooks all the assumptions you have to add into your premises in order for this to make even to, in order for this to be even intelligible. It just, I, I don't see how uh, if 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 we're just if we're just comparing competing theories, I don't see how you could say that your one is more reasonable in any way shape or form you have to make assumption after assumption and just you know the fact that you so you say things like i don't see how death makes sense under islam well really i think it's just much more obvious generally for human beings that we don't see how an innocent Mm. person can take on the punishment of other people. Now you can give all these analogies and appeal appeal to different models of the atonement and theories and try to rationalize it. But seriously, which is going to be a tougher task to do that or rationalizing the idea to you who thinks that death is inconceivable the way it is on Islam is okay in the sense that it's just a transition from one life to the other and human beings are accountable for their actions. There is punishment and there's reward. It seems like just the simple version 
looks fine so you 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 you, you just giving it this this uh, uh, um you know look of incredulity like how can that be the case isn't going to do enough work unless maybe you give us like a contradiction or something because intuitively really it doesn't seem like it's a problem you can say that it seems like that to you but generally speaking i think most people will agree that the idea of substitutionary mm -hmm. atonement or whatever other model of atonement you're putting forward here is is not going to uh, uh, really seem in line with with what with the way we see these things i find it kind of funny that i'm expected to give a logical contradiction but i've seen no attempt at a logical contradiction in saying an innocent person could pay the penalty for a guilty person um, no i'm not i'm not saying you have to what i'm so right, what i'm saying okay. is i'm not saying you have to what i'm saying right. is it seems like give considering there doesn't seem to be anything that is counterintuitive or problematic with this concept there, and it seems like you're 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 just uh, you know uh, you you're just finding it counterintuitive isn't going to be sufficient and you have to do more than that and, and you're finding uh, and, it counterintuitive that a king exactly, exactly. Is also yes exactly exactly okay. but that's what i'm saying so i'm comparing right. two intuitions what i'm saying All is right. that it seems like one 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 of the intuitions is much more shared the idea that it seems absurd for somebody to take on the punishment of another, like to, to just take on that liability and suffer for them. And that person all of a sudden being okay, not just okay, being mm -hmm. compatible with God for some reason. And the other intuition that, you know, well, death isn't a punishment. It's just a transition from one life to another. They're both intuitions. I'm What I'm saying is that one seems much more far-fetched than the other. Is it, I mean, is it much wi more widely held I'm, I'm going to have to disagree there because I did bring up the point earlier. I think Jake just dismissed it as a point of emotion. Um, but it was a point that a lot of people find a lot of pain in their children dying. They don't rationalize it. They see that it's unfair. Some people don't even feel that. Yeah, I, I didn't disagree with that, uh, John. Yeah. I didn't disagree with that. Okay. I'm not, that's not the same. So okay. me, not, me okay. being so... sad that somebody I love died is not me thinking that death is a punishment. Those two aren't the same thing. I can miss the person. I can I can be sad that the person is gone. That doesn't mean that, oh my God, death is this evil thing that happened to him. Nobody's thinking like that. Mm -hmm. We're thinking of a person we love that we mm -hmm. lost. Especially a believer doesn't think that death is this evil thing that took him away in punishment. No, we just miss the person. We long for the person. We want to be with the person. That's why we're sad. We don't have this, you know, vendetta against against mm -hmm. death, and we're gonna go right now, uh, try try to uh, bring it down because people die. No, we don't like people we love dying. That doesn't mean that we think death is a punishment. Mm -hmm. I don't think those two are the same thing. All right. So, okay. So death. So you're just. So we're just gonna start with the idea that death is not necessarily going to be a punishment here when an innocent person dies alongside a guilty person. When God brings it out, could have. Uh, stop the innocent person from dying, but decides not to because you, yeah, know, you already agree with that. Oh, 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 that's because that's God's will. All right, fair enough. We're just we're just uh, using two intuitions here. That, but you agreed with it. no. I thought you just said a, no, no, a couple no, of I'm, minutes no, ago. Maybe you you can correct that. me if no, I'm no, wrong. No, I am agreeing with you here. I'm just saying. Oh, you're okay, agreeing. But, okay. Yeah, okay. I'm just saying if we're going to go with that as being both as being shared or counterintuitive, then fine. But just too counterintuitive no sorry maybe I'm, I'm not understanding can you explain what you're saying because because if you're if you're oh, saying I'm, that i'm okay. i'm just saying if two people i'm just saying if both people if me and you find something counterintuitive and we're just you know stuck in a lock of incredulity then we should just move on here and say that there's something counterintuitive just for the sake of 
this discussion. Yeah, yeah, sure. People can decide for themselves. Sure. I mean, uh, I mean, that's really what it's going to boil down to in, in uh, a lot of situations. I'm just saying that that if uh, if if from my perspective, I just think that it's quite clear uh, what is 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 seems to be way more counterintuitive. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess so I guess we I, didn't we didn't take a, so enough I, enough of right. an in depth look so, into your argument to actually bring it to an incoherence. I just right. see a problem right, right from okay. the get go. So, all right, but let me ask you this: Can a head of state be punished for something on behalf of on behalf of their nation? Is that at all? Um, yeah. Okay. Let me, let me think about that because I think there is a disanalogy. Because okay, no, I'm not asking if there's a disanalogy. I'm just saying in general, what would be the moral issue of a head of? State of, a a head of I'm sorry. Head of yeah, state so, is not a king. Not necessarily, but all analogy. kings are heads of state. That's fine, but not yeah. all yes. heads of state. So, so when you say on behalf, I don't, of, I don't. Yeah, my point doesn't really require that. So, so, sure so when you God say, is not the so, head of state. So, so John, when you're when you're saying when you're saying he's being when when you're saying he's being punished on behalf of his people, his so you're saying so his people would be guilty for something, right? Yep. But let's say murder, right? So people are sure. guilty for like, murder. He he is not, right? Yeah, the guy did not murder anyone. Yeah, the, the guy did not murder anyone and is not associated with the murder of anyone. Like, I mean, he is, is he in any way, shape, or form responsible for the crime, directly, indirectly. He is their monarch, is he not? So yeah. he is associated so, with them. So, so he's associated with the crime, right? Now, okay. okay, so so maybe in international law, yeah, the okay. the 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 king can take on some punishment that mm -hmm. would I don't know if it would settle it but then it makes sense for him to take it on because mm -hmm. he's associated with the crime slash sin which mm -hmm. is something I wouldn't want to say about God but let's just put that aside for now but then the people themselves I mean uh, uh, um, when you look at the broader picture right now like the people yeah, themselves the, are Abdul, they the difference is, is it's your the whole analogy is assuming that that person is partially guilty for what happened that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So well, in the they're associated with God the crime. Christ, it's not. That, that's why. Exa that's so, exactly why I said I wouldn't want to say that about God. All right. All so, right. So okay, maybe okay. maybe we could take it. We, we okay, you, could, you could respond to that point. Yeah. All right, I'll respond to that point. So let's say this. Let's say that uh, the original head of it was under another head of state. That head of state dies just in the same way Adam dies, even though he's considered the head of human of uh, humanity because we all inherit his nature. Now, under him and everyone else who is, is his biological heir, who inherits uh, his punishment, um, because he dies and they all die and his position or office is left vacant, we want to say whoever takes up that position again has to also take up his punishment. So it could stay vacant. No one has to take up the punishment. But if someone does, they would have to bear it. What would be the issue in stipulating that anyone who takes on a certain office has to take on the guilt associated with that office. Okay, so okay, well, so then you're saying ask, there's, me... there's guilt there. Stipulated yeah. with the office, yes. Not with yeah, the but why does God have guilt? Um it, well he has guilt in virtue of being incarnate and taking up that office. It's a guilt he takes on, but nothing natural to him. Yeah, so what is it what does it mean for God to be guilty of something? It means that he bears an office which has a certain debt to it that if he takes it up has to pay that debt or would be or would would be him binding himself to pay back that debt yeah and for us to even say that god could be guilty of anything just doesn't sound right 
Um, in virtue of what? In virtue of his nature? I agree. In virtue of the office that he voluntarily takes up? I don't see why not. So he's doing something contrary to his nature. It's not His office is not a part of his nature. It's something that's secondary to it. How does that work on divine simplicity? Because it's associated with the incarnation. <laughs> it's, it's always, you only have his nature. You don't have anything additional. Uh, well, yeah, we have the incarnation. So the incarnation is, it's taken up in virtue of a relational uh, property. Basically, God has a virtual relation with his uh, human nature, and his human nature has a real relation with him. And he, because of the incarnation, he becomes, uh, he takes on the nature of man, and he could take on any office associated that a man can take up. I don't really see the issue. Yeah, honestly, I, I can't take much more of this. I think we should move on, guys. Hmm. It's, it's... I, I, I was, I was, um, I wanted to uh, press a bit more. Abdul, about, we've but... been going for over three hours, yeah. and we've got two people waiting for a long time, and it's just more and more added on more and more complicated yeah. metaphysical assumptions to the whole theory which just keeps getting yeah. worse and worse and worse yeah yeah i just always find uh, john's discussions interesting but yeah i guess i guess we could pick it up some of the time then uh, well i'm in the if... chat okay okay great okay you, we're you, gonna you, go you to around. you're gonna go to um actually you know what we should look at the super chats oh. first before we even bring anybody on um so what was the last one? Because he Neil sent those a few. Three. Of them. Yeah, those Neil. Three. Okay, I got, I got it. Yeah, I found it here. Um, one second, let me bring it up. Okay, Jake, another ten dollars super chat. They try to link the theory of substitution with the ram linking Jesus to it, i.e., making it the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, that's right. He did that uh, several times. Um. Also, the idea of punishing an innocent person for no reason is illogical, and I've dealt with Christians with this type of idea. Okay, yeah, we've just seen that on display with John and Otangelo before that. And then I think he sent another one here. Okay. Prophet Jonah Yunus, alayhi salam, was punished for disobedience to the commands of, was punished for his disobedience to the commands of Allah. Did the rest of the people on the boat go, got drowned asking with him the city of Nineveh repented? Um, I don't know what the question really this is. This was said in the context of the, uh, the you know, innocent people dying and like... Uh, yeah, because I was the one who brought up Jonah. I said that the people the and the... the Quran actually mentions this. This is one of the unique situations where an entire nation actually repented um, and they were forgiven and there was no sacrifice. So that's what my point was, is that the sacrifice wasn't needed for an entire nation that repented. God forgave them. Um, and on the other thing it showed, it, 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 there's another thing about that. The first part of it, which is said, you know, the people on the boat, they didn't get punished. Right, right, right. Okay, that's what his point was. Yeah, that, that's what he, I think he was trying to focus on on that one. Yeah, because the people on the boat weren't punished for what Jonah did was his point, I think, right? Okay. Uh, I think that was it, unless I missed another one. There's one more. He sent Neil, mashallah, brother's doing, uh, doing as well. He sent <laughs> oh, another wow. one. Okay, I got it. Adam, the Adam one. 
Adam uh, was only guilty for his sin and disobedience. We don't have to be guilty on his behalf. Yeah, that's correct. We don't believe that as Muslims that we're guilty or that we die because Adam sinned. We don't have this Christian idea. Was that Brothers the last one? <laughs> I have a question. I think okay. it's important. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, he called me Yahya. You know, it's Zechariah because it's my other name. So, uh, just for those on here. Uh, the question was so he did mention that uh, the, uh, the Orthodox opinion that there is no original sin uh, came about through bad, what he called bad Russian Orthodox uh, theology. But that if you go further back, it wasn't the case. Do you know anything about that? Me, I don't think that that's accurate. I think that um, there's a difference on original sin that goes back much further than that. And actually, there was recently a debate on a channel channel that I'm going to be on soon called Reason and Theology, which John knows. It's actually a Catholic channel where a Catholic was debating a Protestant. What was the subject again? And I can't remember off the top of my head, but it wound up coming down to their different views on original sin. <laughs> and it wasn't saying, hey, look, this idea was created only a couple hundred years ago by these um, heretical Greek Orthodox. So, yeah, I, I don't I mean, John didn't go into detail on that, but I don't think that that was accurate. I don't. Yeah, I don't know much more to say about it. But um, anyway, we've got. Now we've got three people waiting. So let's go to Richard here. Christian waiting for you guys to go live. We're live, baby. I can tell it. Peace and respect to you all. <laughs> peace. What's going on, Richard? Everything all at once or nothing at all depends on your point of view. <laughs> uh, so I want you guys to know that, that I'm here for you to help me become corrected if there's something logically flawed in what I'm thinking. Okay. Because I have gained some amount of respect for you guys for the work that you've done with Justin Downing and I want to say bless you and thank you for that okay. work. That was a lot of work. Uh, which is I'm exactly the kind of person you want to ho you want to hope to meet, right? Someone like that. Mm. That's great. Yeah. Okay, so so uh, run this down for me. How does this work? I make a claim, you guys tear it apart, right? Something like that? Uh, unless you have anything that you want to comment on what the previous guest said, maybe. Uh, I don't know. It's up to you. I love all my brothers equally when they're biblically coherent and not. And I won't speak further than that. Okay, yeah, go ahead. So you, do you want to give your, um, I guess, take on, on the topic? Yeah, sure. Um, that'd be that'd be a, a fun time, right? Okay, so I think Christians are normally conflating some terms from within the text, and because of it, deeply, deeply confused. And I think I'm not confused on that same point, and that's this: that the Father, in Christian terms, is is the one who does the job that Jesus sees do the job before him. That is the job of Jesus. After all, in the text, Jesus is not doing the job of God. 
He's doing the job of Jesus. So in order that he says something like, I am doing what I have seen my father do before me, that means his father was a Jesus. Good so far? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's a really common misunderstanding. It's part of the text they strictly have to ignore and and to maintain their, their theology, their doctrine from within whatever church that they have that doesn't maintain that. And here's why they have to maintain that. They have to maintain that because they 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 accidentally are conflating the Father with God. Mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't matter, say, for instance, uh, any of you gentlemen, if, if you, any of you, perfectly adhered to all of the requests, demands, whatever you want to call them, of Allah, would that make you Allah? No. You see, that's what Christians are doing there. When the Bible claims that the Father perfectly adheres as Yahweh and acts on reality as Yahweh, they conflate that as being Yahweh. You see the problem? Okay, yeah. And then they're doing the same thing with Jesus? Yes. Yes, they are. It makes absolutely zero sense. It's why they can't justify their position from within the text. For instance, uh, someone might say something like... um, you have Adam's sin on you uh, because Adam sinned, right? Because they need to justify why you are guilty from birth so that they can maintain that God did nothing immoral in their own view when obviously it's, according to their view, immoral to kill someone on the part of God, right? So that they can't justify it that way, but they have to ignore lines like, when the father eats sour grapes, the son's teeth are not set on edge. They'll ignore things like that, which is an obvious illusion saying, saying, look, you are not guilty for what your parents did, except that if you adopt their ideas, you can carry on a curse. Yeah, right. Okay, so all that's coherent so far. Yeah, I mean, I didn't bring up that particular verse, but I brought up other ones like it, and it seemed like they were ignored. I found it extremely frustrating to sit here and watch this. Mm. Yeah. And not necessary at all. Okay, so I'm I'm trying to understand. Maybe, I don't know, uh, maybe I could uh, make a strong assertion and you guys could critique that or something. Would that be okay? Okay. Now, I have to admit that by most measure, I'm a heretic. But I truly believe that a heretic is someone you spoke to too long. And you discovered the differences. Mm-hmm. And, and the guy that you went to church with for 20 years down at, you know, Bible Baptist, uh, he's a heretic too. You just didn't talk to him enough. So I don't, I don't know what that term even means in real, in, in real usefulness. Um, okay. So... Geez, what's an assertion I can make that you guys would... would I want to do something super fundamental. Tell me something fundamental within the Bible. I'll make a claim about it. Uh, I don't know. Does that <laughs> <laughs> Richard, the topic obviously is about salvation. We want to try and keep it focused Okay, on cool. This. Let's do that. So, obviously with Christianity, that they believe that, uh, you know, God incarnated onto the earth, that you know, Jesus was an innocent man, therefore he was able to take up all the burden of sin, 
and be that perfect sin sacrificing because it's God that's killing himself. Mm. Uh, he's able right, to right, right. cover everybody else's sin. I, I could actually defend that better than I've heard a person defend it, even though I don't hold the position. And here's how I would defend that. It's God's fault we're here. He does need to pay himself. But that's another that's another thing. Well, uh, it could be the case that God doesn't have to... If God created us anyway, sure. and God created a situation in which we commit sin, it could be the case that God sure. doesn't have to require any right. punishment. Like, why not just say, that monarch butterfly right there must be smashed under a foot? Why not just say that? Uh, yeah, yeah. But I think what they would probably argue is the fact that God is just, and therefore God wouldn't just arbitrarily undertake actions, but, but rather they would follow the, from a just perspective. Yeah, but they'd also say he made up the rules. Uh, yeah, yeah. They would say that he made up the rules, but they would also well, say that they made up the rules... Uh, but then once he's made up the rules, he's now honor-bound to stick to them by his nature. He couldn't just develop rules and then sure. arbitrarily break those rules. That would go against his but, nature. I, I understand they would maintain that, but they'd also maintain that anything that God says dictates, dictates what logic is, and we would believe it no matter what. Like, we would think the monarch is a perfect sacrifice for all of sin of mankind. We would actually believe that. Yeah, but I think, to be fair, Christians like John Fisher wouldn't accept that position. They wouldn't just simply say God makes up the logic. He would well, I don't want to that. talk about. I don't want to talk about Mr. John Fisher, but but yes, yeah. they can be inconsistent that way. Yeah, so there will be others that would be inconsistent. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so so on salvation, I'll make a claim. Um, that according to the Bible, Christ is not there for the believer. The believer is already saved. Thereby, his sacrifice doesn't mean squat to the believer. It's not for them. Now, they might in pride say something like, I know so much that I can be guilty. But what the Bible says about believer and non-believer is that they're basically ignorant. They perish for lack of understanding. They don't have any knowledge. They don't have any wisdom. Please listen to me because you don't get any of this. That's what the Bible says about them. So it's just a matter of pride when they say something like, I am guilty and I need forgiveness. What do you think of that? So who's saying I am guilty and I need forgiveness? Is a pride problem. No, no, but who's saying that, sorry? Christians, generally speaking. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know if that's what they would say. I think. Well, yeah, they, they obviously need, say it. Yeah. So they. Yeah. So they would need. Yeah. So they would say. Yeah. I am guilty. I need forgiveness. I cannot forgive myself. I am not right. worthy of forgiveness. Therefore, I need somebody else to be that perfect uh, punishment or sacrifice for my forgiveness. So, so here's my assertion: the the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, the death and resurrection is is a statement of medical authority and understanding of what the human animal is performed in in and in front of a group that are non-believers who who killed him etc right and that that is to give them physical evidence 
that they've been asking for. It has nothing to do with the believer whatsoever, nor their sin. And here's why I justify that, or how I justify that, is if if I say that grace makes sense in the face of ignorance, we already know that. You can't send a three-year-old to jail. I don't care. They can hold a shotgun, pull the trigger in grandpa's face, blow his head right off his shoulders. Three-year-old's not going to jail. Come on. Because he doesn't really understand what was actually going to happen. He just maybe knew it was going to be exciting, but that's about it. So it's obvious that grace is extended in the face of ignorance. Now, is that grace perfectly just in the face of that same ignorance? Well, yes, obviously, it makes total sense. But here's the part that can't be justified. You can't justify grace due to ignorance, right, or innocence, which is perfectly just, and they suffer guilt. It can't be both. You can't be both guilty and ignorant, you see. So what the Bible is actually reading that's being misunderstood is you are ignorant, you can't be guilty, thus I extend you grace. How's that for a claim? Well, uh, what was the last statement? You can't... I extend you grace because I, I am aware that you are ignorant, stiff-necked, unable to learn etc. Yeah, that's fine, I guess. Okay, I'm not getting a lot of pushback here. Uh, what can I do? I'm trying to make your show. <laughs> I want to be I want to be cooperative. You guys are great guys. You've been I mean, I mean, I think yeah, I generally think people get grace and mercy because they they do they need it. Right. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Is that the Islamic position normally? Yes, everybody needs God's mercy. Well, I don't know what the, I don't know what the Christians are talking about, but whatever it is, it ain't in the Bible. So, where do you think it came from? Tradition, probably. Hmm. I mean, obviously, you you can't have federal headship and 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 born into sin and guilt, while the Bible says you're you're ignorant, and and uh, you don't know my ways, and the child isn't punished for the father eating sour grapes. It says all these things clearly. Right. Yeah, see, I don't... Richard, <laughs> see, Richard, we're, we're not Christians, so we don't really uh, accept these particular positions that Christians, i.e. the ones that consider themselves orthodox... Uh, Am I playing the game wrong? To... Tell me tell me what to do, I'll do that. No, no, it's fine, Richard. Don't worry, we appreciate you coming on. But look, I, look the general position from you know, uh, you know, from what we sense with regards to Christianity is that they sort of give this uh, idea that everybody's born of sin, but like you said, the, the, the children not are biblical. not meant to... Yeah, exactly. So there's there's question marks because of that. Then there's a, there's an issue that every sin must be punished by death, including a child in the womb of a mother would be considered sinful and therefore must die because it must be punished. And right. then there's the yeah, idea that, okay, like that. yeah, and then they say, okay, but God came down, he incarnated upon the earth, he died, and he died as a way to get rid of the punishment of death. And then we're like, well, right. yeah, but people still die who are Christian, so where does that sure. come in? So then, okay, then, oh, well, it's just a spiritual death, or 
um, uh, metaphorical death. Uh, and then this, just this idea then to say that to argue that the guilty person who's guilty of sin, knowingly what he's done, shouldn't be the one that bears the consequence of that, that that seems not. irrational, yeah, then that seems a bit odd to us as Muslims because we're like, no, no, the one who is guilty, yeah, you know, getting rid of all the circumstances of ignorance and things like that and not understanding, get rid of all of that, then he bears responsibility. Now, he might repent and realize he's done wrong, and if he's done that, yeah. then he turns around to God, and God has the power to forgive him, and says he will forgive a person who has made a mistake, did err, you know, made an error, but then regrets it to the point where if he was put into the same position, he would not do the same mistake. He would change his ways. Only God well, knows that. Of course that, he would, if he had yeah. new information. Yeah, yeah, and only God knows that. Only God knows whether that person is being so truthful that if he was to rewind the clock back, right, put him he into that the same, same situation, he right. wouldn't make that. Yeah, exactly. Only God. Well, no, I don't know that. No other human doesn't the, could know that. Doesn't the Quran then declare that we are short of certain knowledge? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we don't know certain things. Well, that's what's the problem? Have... There's no problem with that. No, there isn't. There isn't. So that's that's what we we tend to. That's our position in this night position. But at the same time, we get a lot of Christians put, pushing back upon us, saying, "No, no, Did no." Did you try talking to one that read the Bible? Well, I, I, you know, to be honest, Otangelo, John Fisher, they they you know they are people that would say that they read the Bible. They have a particular. But I think what it is, is that because they read it within a very specific lens. Sure. Yeah? Sure. And so, as a result, they focus upon this particular aspect within this paradigm of, you know, uh, penal atonement, uh, substitutionary right, atonement. Right. And so, as a result, everything becomes skewed. And until they can step outside of that sort of, you know, mindset and then look at things anew, it's very difficult for them to look at those verses that you quoted and then start to look at them in a, with, with fresh eyes, I think. Maybe I did have a great advantage in being an anti-theist when I read it. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, Richard, we've got two more guests. Yeah, no, I, I'm jumping off. You guys are a blast. Thank you so much. It was it was a lot of fun. But I want, I want to say primarily, keep doing what you're doing. Christians are, are not doing a good job of reading the text nor thinking about it. So I, I deeply appreciate you guys. I'm on your side. <laughs> okay, thank you, Richard. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Peace. Take care. Uh, Abdurrahman, I think we've got two more guests. Uh, are you able to add them back on? Oh, yeah, it's one just more. one. Yeah, go, go for it. I don't know where Jake's come. Yeah, Hello, brother. Can you guys, I do. I'm super nervous, but <laughs> a bit fanboy here, but I'll try my best to keep my composure. So I have, um, if you don't, if you guys don't mind, I have two questions. Um, the second one is much more to like, you know, I, I, I want you guys' like comments on my question, rather statements. But the first question is, uh, I met this person in, in I think it, it was, a, I'm not sure if it's a he or a she, but we talked about um, about hell. And he was like, the reason why we Muslims live in the world is because we just prepare ourselves to go to hell. And so we kind of like conflicting there. And he said that 
he said that he believes that because of a hadith saying that only one out of 73 types of Muslims can go to like heaven and the other goes to hell. So he was like, what are the odds that I'm going to, you know, not go to hell? So that's why I'm, I'm in this world just to prepare to go to hell. And so we kind of got into like uh, an argument. I was like, um, but aren't we here to prepare ourselves to go to heaven? Why do you have to be so pessimistic and, you know, play with the odds? and preparing yourself to go to the hell. And so I just want you guys to comment on that. Uh, yeah, so that's a completely wrong way to view uh, Islam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because uh, firstly the hadith that he mentions, the hadith which is like used often, which says that uh, I think it's the Jews split into 71 sects, the Jews split into 72 and the Muslims will split into 73. All of them are in hellfire uh, except one. And then the Sahaba, the companions, asked, who are the one? And he says, those who are upon my way and the way of my companions, you know, to the effect. Yeah. So, uh, but that hadith is actually considered Hassan. Yeah. It's not even, it's not, some narrations, some, some scholars of hadith don't classify as Sahih. They classify it as Hassan, which is one level down. So it shouldn't be used like as a fundamental, you know, Aqida point, yeah, to understand. Secondly, is that when he talks about 73 uh, sects, da'ifas, yeah, groupings, uh, the assumption shouldn't be that the one that is upon the haq, yeah, of Islam would be the minority, it could be the majority. These could just be 72 other, you know, smaller groups and smaller factions. And we know throughout history, there have been various small groups and factions that have never become the majority. You know, there may have been a majority at one time, like the Mu'tazila had certain prominence during the uh, uh, early Abbasid uh, Khilafah, but later it became less prominent to the extent that we don't really have Mu'tazila or Jabriya uh, or others similar to that. Uh, today so you know just to be aware that it doesn't necessitate that and also by the way the, the idea of 73 the 70 in the arabic language is normally used as a metaphor yeah so it's norm it doesn't just mean there's literally 73 and i need to count each one it can mean m multiples of 70 or 70 and you know slightly above yeah so you know it can be understood no, in that context uh, yeah kind of like in english i will use several from seven yeah like a dozen yes. it's like a specific it's 12 but it's not exactly 12 when you say a dozen well you can say a baker's dozen which is 13 is what they say in england yeah so <laughs> that, that's the first thing yeah and the second thing is this is that um in terms of how we therefore approach islam uh, i think it's a statement uh uh, you know, if I had, to, I don't like to quote without knowing exactly the the precise quote. Yeah, so, but I'll give the general point. So I won't mention who who said it, but it was mentioned. And I think it's a companion who said that if all if if there was a voice from heaven said every single person will enter paradise except for one person, he goes that he goes I will fear that that one person would be me. That's not going to heaven. And then he said, and if there's a voice from heaven, I, the angel said, that all people will go to hellfire except for one person, he said, I would hope 
and have the 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 any you know, the optimism that that one person who's not going to go to hellfire is me. The idea is this: is that as Muslims we sit between fear and hope. Yeah, this idea that you know we're not so pessimistic that we think you know Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will not grant us salvation, will not grant us mercy or forgiveness. Neither are we uh, sit in a position which we think, oh, we can do whatever we want because Allah SWT will forgive us and He's the most merciful. No, we sit within the idea that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, He is the one that will uh, grant us forgiveness and mercy, inshallah. But He's also the one that punishes, yeah, and holds us to account, and He's just. And so, therefore, we are in a position where we fear Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's, uh, you know, anger and displeasure at the same time we hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy and pleasure upon what we do and that gives us that that balance of not being pessimistic or overly optimistic but in the same way our optimism should always be slightly more than our pessimism yeah as a believer so uh, i mean his his approach in how he how he's seeing things seems to be incorrect I don't know if he has issues regards to obedience to Islam. Is he practicing Muslim or? Um, he, he said to me that he's, he's practicing and um, he said something about sadaqah. Like, um, like if I were to go to hell, at least my hands won't burn or something. Because, you know, because he believes that in this world we're preparing to go to hell. And so I was like. You know, I would rather go to heaven rather than just have all of my body burn, but my hands. So it's like, you know, pessimism and optimism. And I say to him, like, I do a lot of sins too, but I never, never, ever want to even believe that I go to hell. Yeah, exactly. He that's is practicing. How, yeah, but that's how a Muslim should be. A Muslim should be. He's not a person who thinks we're just preparing ourselves to go to hell. Rather, a Muslim thinks that we are seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that we hope for that pleasure. Uh, maybe Yahya or uh, he uh, can mention the hadith, I think the hadith is, which is that think of uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with you as you think of him. I don't know if you come across this hadith as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 he's, yeah exactly. I, that's a good one. Yeah, so the hadith is basically if you think, yeah, so if you think thoughts that Allah subhanahu yeah. So if you think thoughts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to punish you, that's how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be with you. But if you think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the person who will be showing you mercy and forgiveness, then Allah, that's how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be with you. That's how you're meant to think. So at the same time, we're not like overly optimistic and saying, yeah, you know, I can do whatever I want. But at the same time, we never, we don't have negative thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in terms of how it relates to us. But rather, we always think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will show us mercy and forgiveness, inshallah. I, I don't know if Yahya, if you're looking for the hadith, are you? Yeah, it, and I, I, it's, I, I don't want to... No, that's not... Yeah, I, I'll find it. Oh, I found it, okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, I'm عَبْدِ بِي yeah, I am uh, upon the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the way that you perceive uh my i am well, this is hard now so the way my slave perceives me i am that essentially yeah so yeah uh, so maybe he, quote him Ado, maybe quote him that hadith that might help him 
Uh, one other thing I could also add, um, just, you know, and again, we're assuming that this is going to be, you know, uh, we're, or as not assume, but as a uh, brother Sharif said, it's not that this is going to be used for Akita for, you know, creedal, making creedal uh, judgments, but just, you know, as another side note, uh, being in hell, like those 72 that are in hell, doesn't necessarily entail a permanent residence in hell. Yeah, that could also yeah, that's be something right. that you could, you could yeah, think Yeah, he, he also the mentioned that as well. He was like preparing to go to hell, and then one day, I mean, we we're going to go to heaven anyways, as long as you're a Muslim. And I'm like, do, can you really, you know, bear the pain even for a while? Do you really want that pain? So I was like, you know, a little bit inquisitive about that. But yeah, yeah. If yeah. you guys don't mind, can I ask like, a, it's like not really a question, but re really. Like, um, I want to know what's your opinion on something. Yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, we're we're going to have to end the stream relatively soon, so we'll probably leave it at this. Last okay, question, I'll try not to take your um, time too much. But I was no, thinking, like, I've been, I've been living my whole life thinking that, you know, it's, I think it's obvious that we should search happiness. But then one day I was thinking, like, you know, sometimes pain can bring benefit as well. So I was thinking... Like um, maybe we're not finding for happiness and and not desiring pain as well, but rather like we desire happiness, but pain is not desirable, but it's just part of life when you're trying to search for the meaning of life. And so I think one of the purpose of life is trying to find meaning. And that meaning is different from like a Muslim and a non-Muslim or like an atheist or an a theist, for example. Do, do you agree with well, that statement? Well, so I let mean, me understand. So let me just really understand what you're trying to So you're saying that rather than being, rather than trying to pursue happiness, what we really should be doing is pursuing meaning and purpose. Yeah, then and that happiness and pain is what you get from, you know, searching that meaning. Okay, so yeah, uh, yeah you were going to say? I think, you know, there's a fundamental thing that needs to be kept in mind, like, you know, what you're talking about, what makes a person happy, what makes a person, you know, sad, these things, the things that you brought up, the, these, the feelings that we have, they're also created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in us, it's, you know, it's, it's a basic example, but like, you didn't choose to like, or dislike tea, you, you just found yourself liking it, or you didn't choose... Now, I'm not negating that we have cho uh, the fact that we have choices. We do have choices to actually drink it, even if we like it or dislike it. But we don't have that, you know, uh, that it's programmed in us. You know, some people call that fitra or they call use other words for it. Uh, that's fine. That's not that, you know, the word's not important. But so looking at that when, you know, chasing happiness, I mean, it, what makes you happy? And in the end, it is Allah who's giving you that happiness uh you know maybe when somebody feels guilt shame or other things this is a message from allah uh personal message from allah to the uh to his uh to his abd that this is something that is not wanted by god that's one way to think of it and that you know so you can one person finding the meaning now i agree we, the goal is to find the meaning but one shouldn't think then that uh finding happiness or receiving you know getting these feelings that they are not a part of that meaning or search of meaning they are a part of the meaning and you know in the end the uh, or not in the end the beginning you know 
right? The uh, read in the name of your Lord who created, who created. And if you just stop at that one ayah, you're basically getting at reading. Yeah, search for meaning. But in what way do you do that? By reading the things that your Lord created. So if you, you, you know, you see that uh, you're not the owner necessarily of your of your feeling of, you know, you don't want to claim ownership over your your existence. And that includes, you know, your feelings, your emotions and other things. These are also created as a message for you, for all of us to read. Uh, and then that is an integral part of the search for meaning. It's not uh, one needs to be careful. Uh, otherwise, you could fall into, you know, the, or a person could fall into the uh, the ruhban, which is something that we're not supposed to. So it's kind of like a secularized search of meaning, uh, which you know the 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 Christians and the monasticism they kind of might have they might have fallen into that as the uh, Quran uh, implies. So that's something that one needs to keep in mind, I think. I don't want to ramble on too much. Yeah, Adil, the issue is, it is Adil, isn't it? Pronouncing your name correctly. Um, it's Adil, Adil. Adil, okay. Mm -hmm. Like Adil, I think. I don't know if that's <sighs> how you guys call it. All right. Uh, yeah. So, Adil, <laughs> sorry. So the issue is this, is that, look, whether you're, whether you're Muslim or not Muslim, whether you're seeking purpose of life or not, you're going to face difficulties. You're going to face what you like, pleasures, isn't it? So it's not the 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 idea is that okay, we we only want to strive to achieve happiness, but then on the way, you're going to face lots of problems, and you may not be able to achieve ultimate ultimately what you perceive or what an individual might perceive as happiness. Uh, so really, that that becomes a bit of a meaningless utopian ideal that you're never going to get in this life so why seek something which is utopian i you're never going to achieve rather what you need to do you need to achieve what your purpose and meaning is and really to understand purpose and meaning really contextualizes the problems that you face and gives you ultimate happiness and tranquility within life because that allows you to navigate the difficulties as well as the happiness and the pleasures yeah so if you don't have that meaning and purpose then and you face difficulties maybe disease illness maybe loss of livelihood maybe loss of family member loss of health all of these types of things if they affect you and you're trying to say well my purpose of life is to try to achieve maximum happiness and you face these problems you're like people get really depressed whereas if you understand your purpose especially from an islamic paradigm then it becomes very easy to understand that actually these are difficulties and tests that are tests given to me by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that either eliminates my sins, that raises my ranks before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore there is always a good and that whatever difficulties I face here which is will always be temporary but what will I achieve from those difficulties will be eternal paradise, real happiness. Yeah. Uh, so I think um, you have to pursue purpose because purpose defines for us how to view issues with regards to life whether that's the ups or the downs with regards to that is that okay idol i i really like the because i learned something uh new from zakaria is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah um because like i usually think that it's just happiness and pain is just or uh, rather joy and pain is just part of searching meaning but he added that it is also part of meaning 
not just like mm. in the searching of it, which which I really really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay, so I think we're gonna wrap up here. Thank you, everybody. Uh, for just joining. really quickly. Uh, go ahead. Layman sent a five. Uh, is that five euro super chat? And he also became a member to uh, to the YouTube channel. So just to remind the uh, audience as well that you can you know help us out in terms of becoming members to the channel or help us on Patreon or things like that. So you know, Layman's one of our biggest fans, by the way. He's uh, he's one of our <laughs> supporters. So yeah. Mashallah. Oh, and also PayPal. PayPal's a, a good uh, way to help support us. It's all in the links. So inshallah, brothers can uh, check that out. Inshallah. So um, yeah, uh, Zakaria, anything to add? Uh, any final words? I mean, it's always good to see you. I, I, I miss you all and I miss the, the time that we would spend together. This is a nice, uh, refreshing, uh, you know, come together, for lack of a better word. Yeah, it, it was really good having you on and, and, and we miss you too. And inshallah, we can uh, talk again soon, inshallah. So, um, Sharif, anything else to say? Uh, we have Malpass coming on soon. Maybe we can announce that's that. That's what I was yeah. going to say. That's uh, that's what, exactly what I was going to say. Probably our next stream will be with Alex Malpass. Alex Malpass. So, okay, I think this is the first time we're actually announcing it. It's on the 17th. It's on the 17th. Have we got the timing of... yet? Do we, we haven't got the timing time? yet. <laughs> we'll oh, we'll get the timing and we'll put it out there soon. Uh, so, it's on the 17th. Uh, sometime around the, the normal time we, we, we normally do our... Uh, streams uh, maybe a bit earlier than that uh, probably not later so so yeah we'll announce that soon so everybody keep tuned for that it should, it should be a good discussion inshallah sure. uh, and uh, yeah uh, thank you everybody for joining uh, Sharif, Zakaria uh, Jake he had to leave by the way uh, something came up thank you guys so much and uh, thanks everybody for joining and we hope to see you soon again inshallah Jazakumullah khair Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh